What's up everybody and welcome to Anime Baby, where impossible is nothing. I float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, this is your host, Mikey. And in this corner, joined with me as always, is... The amazing, the always indomitable, Grin, it's Ryan! And in the other corner, our very special guest making his return to the podcast squared circle... The mechanical, gear enhanced, fighting spirit, Tony. And on this episode, we're putting our dukes up as we're talking all about Megalobox. Yes, we are. Oh, Whoa. yeah. Official, Exciting one. Officially year two of the podcast as we celebrated Woo. one year anniversary last time with Promise Neverland. Yes, we're into year two. We are officially, because like we've just in our, we just in our 13 episodes, so it's like, it's like, if we were in anime, we'd be in our second season. Yeah, now. this would be the, the second core of anime, baby. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, if you, you at home notice anything a little different from the sound, is uh, it's because we're recording this live from our hotel room in beautiful downtown Minneapolis, the entertainment capital of this state, as we're here for GalaxyCon Minneapolis. Yes, yes, quite the con. Never been to this one before. Yeah, actually, it is a very first year con for GalaxyCon here in Minneapolis, here at the Minneapolis Convention Center. Yeah, yeah, yes, it's, it not, it's not been too bad. Yeah, like, uh, we've already, we're recording this near the end of day one, and I've been having a blast thus far. Yeah. Yes, it's been, we've been having some really good guests here. I've been very imp very impressed with who we've had. Yeah, like, r right before we started recording, I just came back from a panel hosted by Dana Snyder of uh, Master Shake fame of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Of Master Shake fame! That was bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, he was an absolute blast. He just spent most of the time with, like, uh, three of his friends just shooting the shit, talking about nonsense the entire time, and just <laughs> having a little fun talking with the other, uh, the, uh, folks in the audience. Was Dino Stanotopoulos in there? Yes, he was. Oh, oh my god, he was? Damn it! I could have gone and seen that. Yeah. I like Dino. Yeah, we got to hear him sing a few times. Nice. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so far I've, uh, I've gushed in front of Richard Horvitz and couldn't talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Mark Henry and I'm like, oh, that's Mark Henry, and I didn't say anything. <laughs> didn't you say he like, was, I'm... like, looking bored? Yeah, yeah, there was no one at his booth for a bit, so he was just kind of checking, checking his phone out, texting some friends. I do, I did learn that Mark Henry does use dark mode on his iPhone, which, hell yes, bro. Nice, hell that's yes. the way to do it. Uh-huh. 
Uh, but yeah, I've also met some other guests too. I got to meet uh, Morgan Berry and Caitlin Glass, who are both like phenomenal voice actresses, and they were both in like uh, Love Live and Love Live Sunshine. So I got to have them sign uh, a couple of my Love Live merch stuff. I managed to get a question answered by both Chris Sabat and Justin Briner of My Hero Academia fame, and also get a question answered by uh, John DiMaggio as well, which was a... A Futurama fame. A Futurama fame, <laughs> yes. He, he kept intentionally messing up my name as Brian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I was just like, okay, buddy, you, you've earned my, res- my respect if you can like troll me in the middle of my question. I'm like, yeah. It was kind of fun just walking around the autograph area. Like, I felt weird because it's like... What am I trying to say? Like, they're there, and I could say hi to them, but I'm like, feel like, oh, I should probably pay for something to say hi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I do kind of get that feeling too. Yeah. I also kind of felt a little awkward because it was, it's early, you know, on a Friday, and like, you know, half the continent it's isn't here. Empty. Yeah, because most people are either at school or at work. So like, I was walking around the autographs, and I saw the guests there, and I'm thinking like, wait, can I get them now? Like, it, shouldn't I be waiting in a line? This is this is very alien to me. Yeah, it felt weird. So, like, you I know? just I just walked right up to Morgan Berry and Caitlin Glass. I'm just like, hey, can you have me, can you sign this? And they were like, yeah, sure. You're just very, very nice and lovely ladies. It could be that they also didn't know that it would be a little dry on that first day, too. Yeah. So. yeah. But, uh, you know, the weekend's coming up, and I'm pretty sure things are, business is about to pick up, as one Jim Ross would say. Ooh, yeah, I imagine yep. it's going to really keep Jimmy me here Ross tomorrow. Will, yeah. So, as always, before we get right into it, it's time for a little bit of the background. Nice. I, I won't get tired of saying that. Thank you, Jericho. <laughs> yeah. There's there's an ad in the Skyway for bubbly uh, seltzer, and every time I walk by it with Mike, I'm like, a little bit of the bubbly. <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta listen to that every time. Oh, yeah. Especially because it's a uh, full gear weekend for AEW. Mm, yep, and true. we're not going to be watching it, more than likely. <laughs> yeah, later, though. It's a little different here, as usually the shows we cover on the podcast are based on straight manga adaptations, you know, like My Hero, Miss Kobayashi, that sort of thing. But for Megalobox, this series is slightly different, as... Sort of, kind of original. Yeah, it's uh, mostly a commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the 1968 boxing manga Ashida no Joe, otherwise known as Tomorrow's Joe, Champion Joe, Rocky Joe, or simply Joe. Yup. Ashida no Joe was written by Aso Takamori and illustrated by Tetsuya Chiba, and it began on January 1st, 1968, and ran until May 14th, 1973, with a total of 20 volumes, and it was published in Weekly Shonen Magazine. Yeah, Kodansha's competitor is Shonen Jump. That's right. I feel a little bad that it's also one of those classics, though. Another one of those classics that I feel like has kind of been buried for, like, some time, because I have to fully admit, I didn't know what Ashida no Joe was before Megalobox. I yeah. gotta be upfront about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, not a lot of people really did either. Mm. Yeah. But it does kind of feel like it's experiencing a little bit of a uh, revival. Like, yeah. it's being remembered a lot better now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, a little background on Aso Takamori, otherwise known as Iki Kajiwara, otherwise yep. known as Asaki Takamori, which is his real name. Uh, he wrote most of his works under pen names. Uh, reason for this is because he wrote for rival companies, so having a pen name was to prevent any overlap between any publishing. Good idea. Yep. Yes. He was born in 1936, and by the 60s and 70s, he would become one of the most popular creators in shonen manga during that era. An era that also included such hits as, but not limited to, Kamen Rider, Devil Man, and Tiger Mask. Hell yeah. Speaking of which, Tiger Mask was also written by Takamori under his Iki Kajiwara name. Hell yes it was. Yeah, as it was published in a different magazine until it joined Weekly Shonen Magazine in the early 70s. 
Damn, what an honor to be, like, recognized along the likes of, like, Go Nagai and Devil Man. Yeah, that's friggin' amazing. Some of his other works he would be known for were Karate Master or Karate Baka Ichidai and Star of the Giants. So he's mostly known for fighting in sports series featuring young men being heroic and rising above adversary. Yup. Other than manga, he would go on to be a producer in many of the anime adaptations and OVAs based on Ashida Nojo, Tiger Mask, and Karate Master. Uh, he, in fact, he even wrote the lyrics for the first ending for the first Ashida no Joe anime called Joe's Lullaby. I'll splice in a little bit right here. で、地を流し、足たを目指して立ち上がる。立て。立て。立つんだ、ジョー。小森歌はリングにゃないぜ。立たなきゃ。昨日に逆戻り。みなしごが今日はパンチを打ちまくり明日の誇りを取り戻す打て打て打て打つんだジョー夜明けの鐘は手をこぐ打たなきゃ昨日に逆戻り。That's great. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, that's a good that's a good ending. I always, I've always liked that one. It's so good. Also, in doing research, I also found out another thing that uh, he did a guest voice acting spot in Lupin the Third: The Mystery of Mama movie as General Secretary. Wait, what? Yeah, I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's like I think it's like a little quick little cameo in there. I love Ooh, Mama. Oh, nice. Mama's like one of my favorite Lupin movies. Oh, nice. So he would continue to work until he unfortunately passed away in 1987 at the age of 50. Oh, too young. young. Yeah. But uh, on to more positive things. Let's talk more about Ashida no Joe. And Tony, I feel you know more about yeah. that than we do. So, so I mean, like, the original TV show is pretty legendary in its own right, honestly. Because I think, like, that was kind of the thing that, that kicked off the whole popularity of the show. And that was a... The first series ran, ran for 79 episodes from 1970 to 1971. And it is the debut directorial effort by one legendary man, Osama Dezaki. Uh, he did series like Aim for the Ace, Rose of Versailles, 
Space Event, Space Adventure Cobra, Gogo 13 The Professional, and of course his final movie before dying in 2011, Clan Ad. Oh wow, he did Clan Ad? Yes, the <laughs> movie version of Clan Ad. <laughs> <laughs> he also you did wouldn't it. expect that. He also did Air. Really, Air? Air huh. the series or Air the movie? The movie. Um, oh my god. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did that like when he was seventy or something. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Dazaki rules, man. Um, and unfortunately, that original series from 1970 has never been legally released in the United States. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, you looked nope. a bit of this up, but wasn't there like a thing where they had plans to bring it over here and dub it, but uh, they decided not to because they realized the ending was far too depressing for American audiences or something like that? Mm, I could see that. But, like, the show is actually pretty easy to find if you look through uh, other nefarious means of doing so, which I will not discuss here. No, because we don't support them. <laughs> but, if you want to catch a not-as-good movie version of it from 1980, Discotech has that on Blu-ray. Nice. It is a recut of the original series of 79 episodes... <laughs> Down to 2.5 hours. <laughs> so you can imagine it's pretty brisk and cuts a lot of things out. Oh, boy. It serves, it serves as a recap of the second for the second TV series, which was coming out in 1980, to like kind of reintroduce Japanese audiences to the series and catch people up on what happened. Oh, when you put it like that, it sounds like even choppier than like the Berserk films. Right, but... Um, I will say, though, that the second series, which is also by the Zaki, is, in fact, streaming on Crunchyroll. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Which is very weird. So there is something out there for folks. Yeah, yep. if you want to get your Joe fixed, there you go. But it's on Crunchyroll as Champion Joe 2, so uh, keep that in mind. Okay, mm. so it uses one of the alternate titles. Yes, be sure to, be sure to search properly. Uh, so uh, one of the many things that uh, I know... Uh, well, we don't really know much about the original Ashina no Joe, other other than like say a few uh, few nods here and there and other things. Uh, many people would know it from uh, the famous and often parodied black and white image of Joe sitting in the corner, beaten up with a smile on his face. Yep. Like, yep. Uh, That's been referenced many, 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 many times in many different shows. Like off the top of my head, I can name like I can see a parodied parodied in uh, Bakken Test. Show by Rock, and one of the more famous homages, uh, Kamina's death in Gurren Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert for this, <laughs> for this 12-year-old show. Yeah, <laughs> sorry about that, folks. But yeah, that's where that uh, that final shot of like Kamina where he says, later, buddy, that's where it was paying homage to, Joe. Yep. Ah, okay. So yeah, that comes at the end of the second the series, I want to say. Yeah, it was like, uh, I looked a bit, bit of this up, it was in the final fight where Joe goes up against uh, another boxer named Jose Mendoza, yep. and the, the fight lasts the entire... 15 rounds, Mendoza just keeps beating on Joe, but Joe just doesn't back down, he just keeps getting back up, this drives Mendoza to the point of, like, where he's just going mad, going, like, why won't you stay down, and even though at the end he does win based on points, it looks like the fight just aged him horribly, he looks like a crappy yeah, old man at the end. from what I understand, like, it's kind of ambiguous whether or not he actually dies in the ring. Yeah, because, like, with that famous shot, you have Joe's coach checking on him, and then he just has the smile on his face, and people think, like, oh, did he die in the ring? Is he just content? Yeah, because, like, like to him? Um, I don't know if you guys care about spoilers for the original movie at all. Eh, go ahead. But, like, uh, or the original series. But at the end of that one, uh, his opponent in that show, Rikishi, 
actually dies in the dies from his injuries that Joe gave him during the final match. Oh, okay. From like brain uh, hemorrhages or concussions or something. As you do as a boxer. It's kind of like the ending to uh, another spoiler here, an ending to the movie The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke. Where, oh like, yeah. He does. Where they keep it a bit Fucking ambiguous. Classic movie that is. My favorite movie of all time. To be Very honest. good. It's it's incredibly good. Yeah. Also, another thing with like the ambiguity of the ending, uh, even the illustrator Chiba doesn't know like what happened at the end because he would go on record saying like he just drew that ending scene at the very last second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there you last go. second, but that iconic. Very Damn. iconic yeah. and often parodied. Damn. Yeah. Now, as for the series we're talking about today, Megalobox, it was produced by TMS Entertainment, which is a company that needs no introduction. In short, they're known for just about every loop on the third series. Akira, currently Dr. Stone and the Fruits Basket reboot, and some of the best-looking episodes of Animaniacs, Tiny Toons, Batman the Animated Series, so they don't do just anime, they do Western cartoons. Yeah, well, you forgot that they also did Sonic X. I was going to bring that up, because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, yeah, like, above all that, they did Sonic X. <laughs> yeah, but, like, it was actually... I can understand why you want to avoid that. <laughs> no, I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, it was... Okay. Yeah, like, it was actually done by the subdivision in there called 3X Cube. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like, they've done the pilot's love song, My Monster's Secret, Sweetness and Lightning and this I don't know any of those other ones yeah and also for uh, TMS as a whole they uh, produced other animes based on Takamori's work like yeah, they're... Uh, Ishii Nojo 2 Karate Master Star of the Giants which Star of the Giants by the way started one year before Sonic X by the way <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but uh, yeah they're no stranger to this man's work as for Megalobox it was directed by Yo Moriyama in what is his only directorial role thus far, and this series ran from April 6th, 2018 to June 29th, 2018. Yeah, and some interesting things about Yo Moriyama, actually. Um, as you mentioned, it is his first directorial effort. He used to be a concept designer, and he worked on a lot of different shows like Lupin Third, Women Named Fujiko Mine, Kabinaria, The Iron Fortress, uh, High School of the Dead, <laughs> Attack on Titan... And perhaps most importantly, and where I think a lot, where the connection seems really clear between his two works, Redline. Ah, uh, yeah. I can understand that. Yep. God. Both very grimy looking works. Yes. On the English side of things, Megalobox was licensed by Viz Media and aired on TV here in the States on Toonami from December 8th, 2018 to March 23rd, 2019. The dub is directed by Ezra Weiss, who also directs the dub of Miraculous Ladybug. So yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah, nice. you two boys are happy. Hell yeah. <laughs> and the scripts were written by Dave Caspit and Mike McFarland. Yeah, Mike's been in the game forever. Yeah, and like even though he's still down at Funimation, he still has time to do some scripts for uh, some uh, California dubs over at Bang Zoom. What a yeah, trooper, was, that guy. He was at the first anime convention I ever went to, I believe. Really? Yeah. Did you meet him? Um, I think, yeah, I like talked to him a little bit. Nice. Uh, that was at Sojin Con in 2005, or... No, 2006, actually. That's it. Yeah, oh, so wow. some time ago. Yeah. It was a weird college convention at uh, Southwest State University in Marshall, Minnesota. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, so, like, the the one panel I went to with him was literally in a college lecture hall. <laughs> he was writing on a chalkboard. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Nice. <laughs> and, like, Greg Aries was... Uh, was DJing the rave literally in, like, a gym. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a high school prom? Yeah, and Johnny on Bosch's band played there, too. Ah, oh, oh, nice. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> I love those weird little musical projects those voice actors have on the side. Yeah. It's so good. 
with all that out of the way, we're talking Megalobox, so without further ado, oh, let's get ready to rumble! Michael Buffer there. Welcome to WCW Nitro. <laughs> Pay me. Yeah. Million dollars. We're in the third hour now. Let's do the third hour fireworks. <laughs> Even though they're still fighting in the ring. To start off with the opening, we have Bite by Leo Imai and the ending, Katakai Koyo, or uh, Come At Me in English, by Nakamura Emi. What do you guys hell think of Hell yes, me? hell yes, hell yes. This OP bangs hard. Oh, yes, yeah. if... <clears throat> yeah, like, the ending, ending's pretty good, but, like, this is another example where, like, yeah, we think the ending's good, but, like, the opening, holy fuck, this thing's awesome. I think the ending is... I think you guys are kind of underestimating the ending. Oh, yes, the ending is quite good as well. I do like the ending. Yeah. I love the giant neon sign kind of I love that aesthetic effect. Really. Yeah. Yeah, but the opening, though, it's just like you've got that rough guitar playing there that, like, contrasted with, like, images of, like, a rough desert land that, ah, like, a, with, like, a like motorbike the, the shooting wolves. across. The wolves, yeah. The, the wolves, wolves that symbolize the main characters. Yeah. Oh, it's really good. It's so good. It's just, like, it's the kind of music you just really want to listen to when you just really want to beat someone up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. God, it's so good. <laughs> to start off with episode one, Buy or Die, or Don't Let the Simmering Fire Die, It'll Light the Way in the Dark. Kick off with Japan. In the world of tomorrow, where wealthy licensed citizens live in the big city while non-rich live unlicensed in slums on the outskirts of town. In this world, there is one sport that rises above all else. A true sport of kings. A real sport. A mega sport. This is megaloboxing. It's like regular boxing, but each of the fighters are outfitted with external mechanical framing that makes their punches more lethal. The next evolution of combat sports. Yeah, such a novel idea for a show. I know, it's like, it's simple, but like it like it immediately hooks you in. Yeah, it's just like you take this concept, okay, boxing's pretty cool, but how do we plus it? I got it. Just give everyone just these like mechanical just outfittings on their arms and like over their torso and everything and just makes their punches hit more harder and everything it just looks so awesome right and um moriyama was saying that like they were 
they were trying to figure out what the hell to do with this because TMS approached them in like 2016 or something with like wanting to do some kind of 50th anniversary project for the series. So what they what they originally kind of came up with was a prequel series focused on Joe's rival from the original show, Rikishi. But as they kind of went down the path of working on that, they just kind of found it wasn't that interesting and it wasn't necessarily going to draw in a newer audience because not a lot of people actually know about Rikishi because, I mean, it had been 50 years since it started. Right. And we have an entire new generation of fans out there of anime. Yeah. It's like they already got to deal with the factor that not enough people know Ashida no Joe already. Exactly. So they kind of scrapped that idea, and then he was just kind of drawing things, and he found, he like drew this thing of a kind of robotic-looking arm that that kind of served as the basis for the entire show. Like They're like, oh, what is that? That's pretty neat. Maybe we could do something with this. And then from that... Like, the whole near-future idea came along, and then things just kind of went on from there. Nice. Rest is history. Mm-hmm. And in the world of megaloboxing, there is one goal every fighter wants to achieve. To compete at the biggest megaloboxing event in the world, Megalonia. A yearly event put on by the Shirato Group, which is led by Yukiko Shirato, played here by Erika Harlicker. And this tourney will begin within three months. Though this event isn't attainable to every fighter, as outside of the big Megalobox stars, there are those who compete in unsanctioned underground Megalobox fights. Also, these fighters are unlicensed, which means they aren't legal citizens, and Megalonia is only open to citizens. One of these unlicensed fighters is Junk Dog, real name unknown, played here by Kaiji Tang. Thoughts on the Junk Dog? Oh, Taiji, like, like Joe, like as we see here, you know, or Junk Dog as he's known at this point in the series. Um, Man, he uh, makes a pretty good first impression. <laughs> yeah, he definitely has a swagger about him that's undeniable. It's very almost like Spike Spiegel-esque in exactly. like just how effortlessly cool he is. And it's not just in his hair either. Yeah, not just that either. <laughs> oh no, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the parallels are there. With the yeah, hair. but it's all like in his attitude and the way he just carries himself with like each fight. Like, he's har- you, you can just feel that he's harboring way more talent than what he's living on. Yeah. And he also seems like the kind of guy who, like, lives with, like, a big, huge chip on his shoulder who just wants to prove everyone wrong. Right, yeah. right. And Kaiji Tang does a really good job of bringing out that, that oh personality. Oh my god, yes. He's, he knocks it out of the park. He is phenomenal. There can't be any more perfect casting than Kaiji as Junk Dog here. Very good role for his resume, I will add. Definitely. So Junk Dog here is a proud megalobarter who marches to the beat of his own drum and isn't the kind of guy who lets folks tell him what to do. Unless it's his coach who tells him to throw fights and takes dives. Right. That coach being Gonsaku Nanbu, otherwise known as Pops, played here by Jason Marnocha. Uh, what do you think of Pops here? Another great casting choice. Really. Yeah. It contrasts pretty well against uh, Joe being the uh, hardcore uh, realist as we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I do really like their kind of relationship. It's very, like, it's very old school, you know, boxer and coach thing. Old school, but it, <clears throat> but they really know how to sell it. Yeah, it's a great dynamic yeah. between them. And with Nanbu, he's actually a direct parallel to Joe's trainer in the original series, Donpei. Uh, even down to the eye patch and the dark skin that he has. Hmm. But the thing is, in the original, he was a boxing trainer, but he fell from grace after one of his protégés threw a fight for money. Oh, mm. there you Which, go. Which, 
there you go. Mm. That 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 comes into play here. And in this, he fully embraces it, <laughs> as yep. we can see. Also, uh, since m- watching Megalobox for the first time, I have also watched uh, another series called Carol and Tuesday. And uh, Pops has the same voice actor as uh, the manager Gus of uh, Carolyn Tuesday. So I like to imagine, like, Gus is just basically, like, non-boo in that show because I can't, like, differentiate between the two characters because they're both played by the same actor. He's got a good voice for playing, uh, like, a manager type. He's very good at that. He's just, like, very perfect for that kind of, like, hard-ass with a heart of gold manager. Exactly, yeah. So the reason here Pops has Junk Dog take dives is because that's the only real way to make money around here when you're an unlicensed megaloboxer. Also, uh, Junk Dog's a little too good, so where's the fun in having him win all the time? You know, you gotta lose once in a while so that when you do win, it's a bigger moment. And that's some pro wrestling uh, booking logic right there. Absolutely. (laughs) Junk Dog, you're putting over your opponent here tonight, but don't worry, I owe you one, pal. (laughs) Yeah. Also, how about this grungy as fuck setting for these underground fights. I think it's like super cool and also we get to see like the gear all in action Yeah, you can really tell uh, Moriyama's background with this as like a designer for concepts and equipment and stuff because everything here is just incredibly detailed. Yeah. And very intricately designed. Definitely. He's definitely got a, he's got a very deft hand for that. Yeah, so... I don't know, like, I don't know if this is a good time to bring it up, but, like, the one thing, though, it, the, the big elephant in the room, the way the show looks. So, here's the thing about it. Notice how it's all blurry and shit? It is kind of, yeah. yeah, I did notice that. Well, the thing is, they wanted to give it a very grimy look. So, what they did they wanted to do cell animation but you can't really do that with a lot of production workflow in this day and age so what they did was they created it like a regular show right and then they roughed up the footage a bit they downscaled it to standard definition and then they re-upscaled it to high def so some of the detail is lost Hmm. Interesting. And you can detail. see like some of the aliasing and like artifacts of that. So they were talking about adding a bunch of film grain to it, but it would be kind of rough on the eyes for like twenty five minutes at a time. So that's what they did to try and to get that effect. That's a neat working. little trick, though. Actually. I think it works pretty good. I do think yeah. it. But it definitely caused a lot of drama on Twitter back in the day. Mm-hmm. Because, like, people were thinking, oh, this show looks like ass. Like, they're like, oh, no old anime actually looks like this. And I'm like, yeah, well, they're trying to evoke a memory of the past. So that's one good, cheap, and easy way to do it. And I think it has something very unique to the show that has never been done before. It definitely adds to the, as you said, the griminess of the show. Like, everything looks... As dirty as, like, the lives that these characters, uh, these low-born characters, you could say, uh, live. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. So we it's get especially to... noticeable when I'm watching on my 4K TV. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it becomes really clear. Yep. Uh, <laughs> like, you can walk up to it and things kind of start to look crappy. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I actually wouldn't mind, like, watching it in that regard in, like, an old, like, uh, color TV or something. Yeah. Oh, there's a side note. I mean, the note. true experience there. Side note, there's a there's a, a Twitter account that takes that takes old anime or takes anime and puts them on old TV, and it's like uh, 
waifus on vintage TVs or something like that. <laughs> oh, That's incredibly God. good. Nice. Like TVs from the 50s and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we also get to see uh, Junk Dog's busted-ass gear, but uh, that's not much of a hindrance to him, as during his fights, we see that he's more capable of knocking his opponents the fuck out. He's all skill, and the gear is kind of just for show for him. Yep. However, as ordered, Junk Dog throws the fight and lets his opponent knock him out, as we see how Pops pulls off this scam. He has uh, Junk Dog look good to the point where the crowd places bets on him, and when there's enough bets, Pops bets on the opponent, and then when Junk Dog loses, he gets the higher payout. There you go. Classic scam. Though we see the real reason as to why he does this, as Pops is in some serious gambling debt. Yes, he is. So, later that night, pissed off, Junk Dog rides his motorcycle out into the city until he nearly runs over Yukiko Shirato, who's overseeing the development of Megalonia Stadium. Bet after Megalonia, this building's just gonna sit there and rot like most facilities built for countries that. <laughs> yeah, probably will. He's like, yeah, but hey, this city's rich; they got money to burn. That's true. Speaking of burning, Junk Dog nearly burns rubber all over Yukiko, but he swerves out of the way just in the nick of time. Yukiko goes to check on Junk Dog while the person she's with takes notice of Junk Dog's bag with his megaloboxing gear. Yukiko offers to help, but Junk Dog is having none of her charity. Then he proceeds to give out to her about how Megalonia is the true megaloboxing while he sees it as just another brawl. Yukiko's big beefy friend tells him to take back what he said, and Junk Dog demands the guy show him what true megaloboxing is. But then the other guy says, a street dog wouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. Duke's up, but Yukiko calls the guy away. Boo. I bet Junk Dog was thinking all like, God, I'm just, I got all worked up for nothing. Just will go home and whack off or something. <laughs> <laughs> Mention to beat something, damn it. Nice. <laughs> the next day, Junk Dog is set for another fight that he's also set to throw. However, this regularly scheduled opponent doesn't show. In his place is someone more unexpected. Introducing the opponent. Representing the Shirato group. Fitted in the latest state-of-the-art technology made by Shirato, especially for him, the man who Junk Dog nearly fought the other night, one of the top megaloboxers in the world, the reigning, defending, undisputed, megaloboxing heavyweight champion, the King of Kings, we'll see you in court, Triple H, Yuri! Played here by Lex Lang. Oh, Lexi. Nice. Fill me with your sweet baritone voice. Damn. Yeah, so good. Mm, I love whenever he shows yeah. up. Another good casting decision. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be saying that a lot. Oh, yeah, because, like, this dub is so good. But, yeah. yeah Yuri is. here. Yuri's so cool. Oh, he's very cool. The, uh, the, uh, white, the represented white wolf we have seen in the opening. Yes, right. And he's come to Junk Dog in his place as there's <clears> no one here to stop him this time. Junk Dog's ready for a fight, despite Nambu's protest, and we have an awesome line here. Where uh, Yuri's all like, what's your name, kid? They can't put your ring name on a tombstone. And then he replies, no one makes tombstones for stray dogs. Mm, <laughs> Dude, oh, that's a badass one. That's so fucking cool. <laughs> Yuri has so many good lines like that. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, this brings us to episode two, The Man Only Dies Once, or No Man Has Ever Died Twice, mumbled the gambler. And so, the following contest is scheduled for one fall, one fall, with three minute rounds and no round limit. No round limit! <laughs> <laughs> the boss of the underground approves the fight, but Nambu doesn't want any of this, and instead wants Junk Dog to take a dive, but Junk Dog isn't going to go down that way, as he's got something to prove. Yuri then offers this handicap for himself. He'll only use his left arm, what a heel. Just like, I can beat your ass literally with one arm behind my back. What are you going to do without it? That's a dick move there. 
But however, Junk Dog manages to take advantage of this handicap to get in to get an opening, but then he's knocked down, but he's not out. No way he's quitting now. And I'll splice in a bit of the this first big challenge here. That smug look on your face is starting to piss me off! <clears throat> If you just used one arm, it'd be sleepy time for you right now. <laughs> Enough with the showboating and grandstanding. From now on, let's fight on even ground, fair and square. Right. Time to do what you asked. And teach you real megaloboxing. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Cocky kid! Stay away from him! Use your footwork! I see what you're doing. It's over. He's not getting up after that. That's enough! Stay down! Stay the hell down! Enough. Give it a rest, Pops. That's not what I want to hear. For once in your life, listen to me! Stay on the mat! Don't get back on! KO in the first round! The winner is... Yuri! And what do you guys think of it? Nice little setup for this for like a great rivalry that's going to be oh, coming yeah. up. Oh yeah, that'll series. be unfolding over the next uh, what do we got? 12, Thirteen episodes here. Yes, nice. the start of a beautiful rivalry. Beautiful, beautiful love story between these two men. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> and so uh, he manages to force Yuri to use both of his arms, which stuns the champ. This guy ain't your run-of-the-mill stray dogs. Unfortunately, despite the effort, Yuri knocks out Junk Dog before the end of the first round. I do like how during this fight, uh, Nambu actually starts to get into when he starts kind of coaching Junk Dog, saying like, "Come on, get in there," and everything like that. But right. uh, just kind of coach him a little bit. But yeah. as soon as he gets knocked to the ground, he's just like, "All right, just stay down, don't get back up." So Junk Dog wants to go another round, but Yuri doesn't want to waste his time with stray dogs. He doesn't belong here, so if he wants another fight, then Junk Dog has to face him on Yuri's terms in his ring, Megalonia. Oh boy! And Junk Dog is now motivated to do just that. So the following day, we get a scene of Junk Dog riding around the slums and the city, accompanied by a pretty sweet track. So 
I guess this will lead into us talking about the OST. Yes! So good! Freaking phenomenal, the oh, music of the series. amazing. All these, like, hip-hop tones they use everywhere, just, like, making for just excellent tracks. Yeah, the artist actually is this guy named Mabuna. I can't say it. Mabanua, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but it's by some artist. I haven't really listened to a ton of his stuff, but it seems it could be all right. Moriyama was saying, actually, I was reading some stuff. He said it's because of his own taste in hip-hop music. He likes that a lot. And he thought, like, the restricted area was of something, was like a place where hip-hop could have formed in the late 70s. Like a lower-class area surrounded by wealth and affluence. Mm. Like the main area. I can understand that influence. Yep. And by the way, this soundtrack, it's actually very... You can easily get this in the U.S. It's streaming on Spotify, Apple Music. You can buy it on iTunes, whatever. Yeah, there you go. Nice. So yeah, if any of y'all yeah. want some like, it's like tunes It's like there. 60 tracks long, and it's pretty great. So mm-hmm. all y'all that out there, do yourselves a favor. Get this OST. <laughs> it's pretty great. So Junk Dog is set for another fight where he throws the match. Before that, he demands Nambu to get him into Megalonia as he wants to have another fight with Yuri. Nambu says no, though, and tells him to just focus on what's in front of him now, and people like them can't hope to achieve something as big as Megalonia, no matter how good they are. It's just how the world works. It really treats it like a joke. Yeah. Like, he's trying to be more uh, practical here in a way, but uh, Junk Dog is just like, no, I can do this. Just You just gotta believe in me. Yeah, sure, Joe. Nah, just get out there, you know, and it'll be business as usual. I promise. So, time for Junk Dog's fight. He goes against orders to lose and proceeds to knock his opponent out in one punch. So, it looked like he was facing a Bart gun here at uh, uh, after the Brawl for All. Nice job. <laughs> Thank you. Because of this, Nanbu gets called into a meeting with the underground boss, Fujimaki, played here by Taylor Henry. Uh, how about this scene between these two? Imposing. Well, Taylor Henry just has like a very naturally intimidating voice, so it works very well for this uh, mobster character he's yeah. playing. He's also very just calming and everything. Like, uh, like friggin' three, nearly like what three straight anime we covered where we had like a very calming, in control, almost like, mo- almost like kind of like mob boss style, like a uh, villain character here right right yes. i also just like that he just drops recipes like in yeah. a few of his scenes too oh, yeah he drops like a recipe for like some like french like pasta soup or something yeah where it's like you have to like boil the <laughs> yeah, bones down boil mm-hmm. the bones down and like during this too you can hear in the background somebody just getting beaten yeah getting like the life beaten out of them in like a freezer too yeah so you know not to fuck with this guy. No, you don't want to mess with Fujimaki. Do not. Because he will serve you a nice, good pasta fazool. <laughs> <laughs> so Nambu makes a deal with Fujimaki. He gets Junk Dog into Megalonia. He wins it. Then after that, he can pay off his debt. So Pops does eventually relent, but he's only doing this because he mostly just wants to cover his ass. Yes, he does. Junk Dog vows to never lose again until he gets to fight Yuri. But in order to get into the tourney, Junk Dog's going to need a license to show that he's a legal citizen. Fujimaki uses his connections to get that taken care of, and all that's left to come up with is Junk Dog's new name. He decides on the name, Joe. Mark out moment! <laughs> uh, it's got a nice ring to it, yeah, and there you go. There's gets it from like a billboard though, doesn't he? It's yeah, kind he of does. implied he gets it from like a billboard that says like Average Joe or something. Yeah, during like his, uh, while he's doing that little montage midway through this episode. Average yeah, Joe's like, gym. <laughs> in the, in the uh, book that comes with the Blu-ray, there was an interview with the uh, illustrator, Chiva, and he's like, when, when he decided the name Joe, Chiva was like, yes! 
And so this brings us to episode three, Gear is Dead, or You're Just Crying Sour Grapes, Machines Don't Breathe to Begin With. I love all the titles. The titles are amazing in this show. By the way, one thing one thing I should mention about all the titles, notice how they all have the word death or dying or dead. That's right. In the, in there. Yeah, they're, they're really hitting home that uh, that uh, lingering idea that like death could be right around the corner for these characters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just an interesting side note. <laughs> the following day, Nambu gets Joe registered into the International Megalobox Association. And we get that uh, getting to the top is going to be a tough one, as Joe, being a new fighter, is ranked dead last at 257. But hey, nowhere to go but up, right? Mmm, maybe. Though Pops does have a way to get Joe into Megalonia within three months and in about five matches. But they have to be against the toughest opponents Joe has ever faced, and he's got to win all. So it's, yeah, no, no, no stakes. Yeah, know. but uh, the way this kind of sets up, it kind of reminds me of how like uh, the college football ranking system, where like they rank teams based on not just wins and losses, but also uh, toughness of, of opponents and uh, margin of victory. So, like, uh, you can win all your games, but if they're, like, uh, close wins, then you're not as good as, like, say, a team who wins all their games and they just completely blow out their opponents. Right. Otherwise, you're going to end up with, like, a match of, like, Homer Simpson versus Dredrick Tatum. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, like, the AEW ranking, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, basically what AEW is going to be doing in uh, kayfabe for their win-loss record system, which is why uh, Cody got to face Jericho at full gear, because he had the best record and he had uh, quality wins over Sean Spears and Darby Allen. Yep, mm, that's okay. true. Before Joe can start training for fights, he needs to upgrade his crap gear. Meanwhile, we meet a group of wiener kids scamming a cameraman salesman. Hell a, yes. Yeah, they use like a fake mouse to get the guy to open this case of cameras, and then when that happens, they just run in and just steal some behind his back. Yep, yeah. And these kids, these kids, these freaking kids, they are, of course, there's a gang of kids in the original, Joe, and these kids are way better. The, in the original, they are way more annoying. <laughs> Almost kind of to the point of being a little grating. I'm also a sucker for gangs of kids that like get up to criminal activities, too. Yeah, there's just, there's just something fun about like just friggin' shit kids. Yup, that's true. It's like regular childhood where you're running around with your friends, except you steal stuff and commit crimes. And the reason for this is so they can uh, trade the cameras to a guy for some uh, red candy. And the guy who gives th this to the kids is also the same guy Joe and Nambu are looking to buy new gear from. Mm-hmm. So one of the kids gets stiffed out of his candy and attacks the shady geared guy, who then tries to cut the kid. But Joe intervenes, and the kid sees how skilled he is. And also while he was getting the candy, he overheard their conversation about uh, Joe preparing to get into Megalonia. So that piques his interest. So yeah, we have Joe defending this damn wiener kid here. What a good guy. Yeah, good boy, Joe. You're you're a wonderful stand-up human. Defending the kids. Though he does call the kid ugly, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's uncalled for. Yeah, he was all like, it's just the kid. An ugly one at that. <laughs> <laughs> like, you were any better. Though. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Later on, the ugly young lad follows Joe and Nongbu back to their houseboat out-slash-outdoor training gym. I do like how cheap their and dirty their setup is. Yeah, yep. houseboat. Houseboat down by the river underneath a bridge. Oh, yep. can you get any grungier? Yep. Also, a reference to the original, because the the gym in the original was under a bridge as well. Ah, nice. We then get the deets on Joe's first of five opponents, Shark Samijima, a.k.a. Maneater. Oh, here he comes. Watch out, Joe, he'll chew you up. Oh, here he comes. He's a man-eater. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Excellent. 
Yeah, this guy, though, is one tough SOB as he fights sturdy, and while he does have a handful of losses, most of them were by DQ at his own hands. Right, so he's kind of a he's a little, he's got history of being a dirty fighter. Yeah, a bit of uh, Jake Hager in his most recent Bellator fight where he got DQ'd for kicking his opponent in the balls too much. Oh, <laughs> yes, he did. come on. That rules. Joe's got five days to train, and Nambu wants him to train without his gear, because no matter how good the gear is or cutting edge it may be, it's not what makes or breaks a fight. It always comes down to the guy wearing it. Skill still matters, as what's good gear if the guy wearing it is a chump. It can't do all the work for you. The ugly kid and damn wiener kid friends come keep coming back day after day to watch Joe train, even though they don't think much of him as he's ranked last. Eventually, Joe does get his new gear, and the ugly kid finally confronts him as we're formally introduced here to Sachio, played here by Erica Mendez. Yeah, I'm Erica Mendez! Uh, yeah. yeah. Another like, great casting choice! Yeah, like, uh, she's really good here, and also I really like the character of Sachio. Yeah, and I should mention, this is another parallel to the original, because there's a one of the wiener kids is named Sachi. And Sachio is basically a gender-swapped version of her. Mm. And, well, she she doesn't play nearly as big of a role in the original as Sachio does here. But she is definitely the closest one to Joe of that little wiener kid group. Okay. Mm, okay. But in the end, Sachio's a little shit and I love him. Yeah, change, uh -huh. changing the dynamic up a little bit to be a more supportive character. Yeah. Also, we see some uh, hints to his background as he's uh, very protective of his uh, big hat that he wears. And also, it seems to contain a, a special family photo. It does. More on that later. Sachio wants to join Joe and Nambu, but these guys have no time to babysit some rug rat. Joe tells him if he wants to make it to Megalonia, he's got to find his own way. And it looks like he has a plan in mind. Earlier, when he and his friends were getting the candy, he noticed that Joe was taking a fancy to some high-tech Shirato brand gear similar to what Yuri has. So at night, Sachio goes, sneaks into the shop, and tries to steal it, and he does successfully. But he got caught in the process, and now Joe's gotta go save him. So while Sachio is getting his shit punched in by a fucking hoss of a man named Potemkin wearing some <laughs> huge-ass <laughs> gear, like, holy shit, this guy. Yes. Potemkin, like battleship Potemkin. <laughs> nice. Uh, but Joe he's kind of massive. He's, he's got beef. Yeah, he definitely has beef. Yeah, he's more, of, I'd say he's more marbled. But. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of beef in here. Great A beef. God damn, Bokevkin, don't tease us. <laughs> uh, but Joe comes to the rescue by crashing his motorcycle into the shop and right into Potemkin. <laughs> yes, he did. Joe's got a fight tomorrow, so what better way to get ready than to have a little warm-up match here? Joe versus Potemkin, and Joe's got the new gear on. However, Joe's gear is destroyed at the start of the fight, but that's not going to stop him from fighting. He remembers Pop's word from earlier about how fights always come down to the guy wearing the gear, or in this case, not wearing the gear. Yes, indeed. Joe charges in, and Sachio is able to determine what Potemkin is going to do next and telegraphs that he's going to throw a left, so Joe dodges and delivers a match-ending uppercut. Sachio has proved his worth in reading the opponents and is officially added to the team. Also, this fight gave Nambu an idea on how Joe's going to fight from now on in order to make it to Megalonia. So this brings us to episode 4, Let's Dance with Death, or I'd rather boogie with that babe than dance with the Reaper. And we got a gimmick coming. I love all the episode subtitles, too. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> so, Pops, what's your plan? He plans on Joe fighting without gear. What? So, ladies and gentlemen, making his IMA debut, Gearless! Joe! Yes. yes. Another parallel, kind of, to the original. Really? Yes, because 
everyone in this world uses gear, right? Mm-hmm. But in the original, Joe's gimmick is his no guard stance, where he oh. drops his guard and fights without guarding. Oh, mm-hmm. I see. Guardless. Uh, yep. And then people are like, "What the hell are you doing?" Which is what they're doing in this fight, because uh, Joe's going to fight on pure skill alone, competing in Megalobox without gear, to, so he can gain the attention of the IMA's higher-ups. Exactly. And the, the crowd's just all like, no what the gear. fuck are you doing? Are you just making fun of this guy? Where's your gear, man? Yup. Uh, but uh, this is a very good plan, in all honesty, you know, just to get to the attention, and it's, like, really good. And it also just gets over Joe as, like, yeah, he doesn't need gear. Yeah, guys it's good. He's all nat- he's au naturel. Yeah, it's good marketing, and he's skilled to do it. Also, this gimmick is very pro wrestling. Oh God, yes! It's like uh, what they're kind of doing with like the uh, MMA uh, wrestlers in uh, WWE nowadays. You know, with like Shayna Baszler and Matt Riddle, especially Matt Riddle, as he doesn't he only wears like his MMA trunks and no like boots or like knee pads or anything. Yeah, and he also kicks his slides off. Yeah, to the ring, he can <laughs> fight perfectly well without oiling up his body, <laughs> like uh, Michael Nakazawa. <laughs> yes, Mikey Nakazawa. Naka, Naka, Nakazawa. Yes. <laughs> Joe's definitely betting everything on this gamble, and while Nambu is more focused on Joe simply getting into Megalonia, Joe's more focused on winning the whole damn thing and doing it without any gear. And so, Gearless Joe's first match is scheduled for one fall. One fall. Yes. Against Maneater Shark Samajima. The crowd's more in favor of Shark as they feel Joe going in without gear is a joke, and they don't think he stands a chance. One thing Joe's got to be aware of for this match is fouls, because uh, rules are three fouls and you're DQ'd, and Sharks is a dirty fighter, so we know he'll take advantage of that. Kind of like how uh, heel wrestlers take advantage of five counts in wrestling. Yes. Nice. It's the dog versus the shark, like Jabber Jaws versus Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> no respect. <laughs> no respect at all. Ring the bell, and the match is underway. Joe gains control in the early portion and manages to get on Shark's nerves, but Shark responds with a straight right, which knocks Joe into the ropes and to the ground. Love the shot of Joe lying on the ground in pain, and we get, like, that POV shot, and it's all hazy, and the sound's all muted and everything. I just think that mm-hmm. looks really cute, really cool. Upon racing this again, it really hit home that, like, maybe going gearless was not a good idea in Joe's case, because now he gets, like hit like a pound of bricks by every fighter yeah <laughs> oh man yeah Maybe they really the sell how way. brutal it's gonna be for him going forward yeah that's another thing about the series they really get over how megaloboxing is really really dangerous mm-hmm. oh yeah and how you have to be the toughest of the toughest to actually compete much like actual boxing yeah yes. <laughs> joe manages to make it back to his feet before the 10 count and the fight continues as we reach the end of round one Pressure looks to be getting to Joe, and it's not just him, but also Nanbu and Sachio as they're just fumbling all over all over themselves, you know, tripping over the ropes. Sachio's dropping, Joe's spit bucket, and the crowd's just all laughing at them, going like, oh, what are these clowns doing here? They should just have like a music cue from like the announcer, just like, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, basically. Just just have like the, the announcers just like call what's going on. It's like, oh, and uh, Coach Nanbu, he is just tripped over the ropes and falls down the stairs. Oh, all the humanity. Oh, and uh, little Sachio, he just falls straight into the bucket and spills it all over the place. Oh, can you just see just so much, all oh, the humanity? And the crowd is in hysterics. They have never had so much fun at Megaloboxing. And yep. here comes the garbage thrown at them. Oh, and it's also free pretzel day. Look at them go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, round two begins, and if Joe is going to have a chance to beat this guy, then he's got to use his footwork. He's got to evade Shark, and when he gets an opening, he goes in for the knockout. Shark forces Joe to run away for most of the round until he gets him in a headlock and throws him to the ground. It's a foul for Shark. 
So he does end up using the fouls to his advantage here. Mm -hmm. Joe gets back up, and the two go at it again with Joe dodging Shark's offense until the very end of the round. While in his corner, Joe gets uh, the riot act read to him by Nambu until Sacho just breaks it up and tells Pops, tells him that acting like that makes him no better than the folks in the crowd heckling Joe. Then he tells Joe that he needs to get his head in the game and land some punches. Alright, no more messing around. Nambu knows that Joe is scared, but then he tells him that fear is natural for boxers and he needs to channel that into something positive. Also, Joe needs to remember that he's not alone in this fight as he's got Pops and Sacho in his corner and all three of them are going to Megalonia. Joe's got this now. He's going to use what he's learned from training under the bridge and in the underground. He's going to make sure Shark knows who's really leading this dance right here. Joe uses his quickness and footwork and manages to get an opening. He lands a stiff right hook, knocking Shark's mouthpiece out and him to the ground. Ref checks on Shark and calls it before even the 10 count. Referee's decision. Joe wins 117 into the third round by knockout. Yay! Ooh, he did it! Nice. And the crowd that heckled and opposed him for the start... Give him a standing ovation as through this fight, Joe has earned their respect. Oh, yeah, that like yes. slow clap of respect they all give him. It's uh, like the end to uh, Rocky IV, you know, where uh, Rocky's all like to the, the Soviet uh, crowd saying like, if I can change, you can change. And then like, uh, every the, you know, the government starts standing up and clapping for him and then everyone else starts clap, clapping for him and then Rocky kills communism. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so one fight down and four to go. Time passes by and through a montage we see that Joe's managed to win two more fights. So now it's three down and two to go. The world starts to know the name Gearless Joe as our former junk dog rises up the ranks and starts to gain the attention of others including Yukiko Shirato. Yeah, now, okay. Here's one thing I gotta say. One criticism I have. I wish this show was like six episodes longer so we could see more of this. Yeah, and all honesty, I really wish we could have seen those, like, two more fights and some more training. Yeah, I don't know that it needed to go, like, a full 26 or something, Cause but... Because they, they gotta resort to a montage right here to show yeah, the passage of time. But, I mean, it's like, like yeah, they weren't gonna... I mean, anime's only done, like, 13 or 26 at a time, Yeah, so it's like, yeah. no chance of that happening. Yeah, you don't really see very many anime go, like, 19 episodes or mm -hmm. anything like that. It's just, like, yeah. it doesn't fit in the, the seasonal structure the anime world is in now. But it still works, and it's good. Yeah, but it's just another good thing. It's just like, hey, this is good. We just want a little bit more. Then again, it's also like the lo it's also all of like the lower tier guys too. Yeah, these are like some of the early jobbers. Yeah, yeah. we got to get them out of the way. Got to get the Joe Bears out of the way. So whatever, I to guess. Really work our way up. And soon, Joe and his team become officially known as Team Nowhere. Time for Joe to get ready for his fourth fight, and Nambu set him up against one of the toughest he can find, someone that personally requested a fight against Gearless Joe. The ranked 17th fighter, someone from Nambu's past, his former student, Tatsumi Leonard Aragaki, played oh here boy. by Greg Chun. <laughs> Another great casting decision. Yeah, so many great casting choices in this show, it's great. Mm, he's got a heavy role here to play for him. So we have episode 5, The Man from Death, or So Where You're From, From the Other Side, From Hell. Uh, how about this cold opening to this episode here? My god! God, we're getting right into, like, a Vietnam flashback here. Yeah, it's... Oh, it's rough. Like, we see Aragaki, who enlisted in the military. He goes into this building. He sees what appears to be an injured civilian. Checks it. Turns out it was a booby trap. It was a bomb. Explodes right in his face. God. I know. What a yeah. way to start off the episode. Yeah, Nambu's ex-student Aragaki, former soldier in the military, but he was declared MIA after he got caught in that explosion. 
Nanbu presumed him dead, but uh, now he's back. And why is he back? He's come to ruin Joe as a way to make up for lost time and as payback to Pops. Pops then wants to find out about what happened to Aragaki when he went missing. He finds out that the finds out about the explosion and learns that he was found and returned home a year later. And he also found out that Aragaki lost both of his legs in the explosion. And yet, the man still fights. Oof, amazing. Yeah, and he does so with the help of these uh, two mechanical uh, prosthetic legs. Right, some of these kind of futuristic little things that help him kind of move around. Nanbu wants to call off the fight, but Joe's not going to have any of that. He's fighting Aragaki, he's going to beat him, and he's going to Megalonia. Though, this is going to be tougher than his previous three fights, as how can you prepare for someone who's basically been taught most of the, th- most of the same things you've been taught? Hard to do. Right, so he can predict Joe's moves here a little bit. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I know what Zanambu taught you. He taught me the same thing. This is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Also, Sachio looks into Aragaki some more and sees that ever since he came back to, to Megaloboxing, he's been brutalizing all of his opponents as we see just shots and shots of all of Aragaki's past opponents just getting wheeled out on stretchers and just looking like bloody messes. Right, right. They can pinpoint an exact moment, too, where, like, he started getting more brutal as well. Yeah, it feels like he's just really just wants to, like, unleash that anger that he's been built up ever since, like, he came back from war. So when he says he wants to ruin Joe, it looks like he means it. Also, how about the part where, like, we see what happened with Aragaki after the explosion that uh, took away his legs? Oh, like, my God. The yeah. really, really rough scenes here. Oh, my God. <laughs> Straight up showing him as, like, suicidal and, like, just having nothing to live for. Yeah, like, he... We literally see a scene of him with gun... Gun pointed right in his mouth. In his mouth. He's about Pop, to pull the trigger. Yeah. But then a ticket falls out of his uh, jacket that says Carpe Diem on it. And that just causes him to just break down and start crying. But mm-hmm. in the end, that saved him. Yes, it did. And we right out of it. More on that later! Yep. <laughs> He then returns to Nambu's gym only to see that it's closed down, so the one home that he thought he had was just no longer there waiting for him anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, he always thought Nambu would always be there for him. That's why he didn't kill himself, but to him, it feels like Pops just gave up on him. Like, he just yeah. forgot, left him behind, and moved on. Yeah, it, it's rough. And even rougher, as it's implied that Aragaki does suffer from some form of uh, PTSD, as we see that he has dreams where he, rel- where he relives the explosion that took away his legs, but, it's, but the way he sees it, he sees, like, Pops is holding him and, like, kind of forcing him to get caught in the explosion. Oh. Yeah, just just incredibly brutal stuff, man. Also, Pops seems to blame himself for uh, why Aragaki hates him so much, because even though he was under the assumption that he was dead, he still ended up forgetting about him until the day he saw him again. Like, uh, we even get the brief scene where, he, like, he finds out that uh, Aragaki went missing in action and th- it was, was presumed dead, and he was just like, no, no, he can't be dead. He's just, like, just blocking out everything, and he's just like, I don't want to think about Aragaki anymore. Uh, I don't want to feel that pain thinking about him. Yeah, very important that they, like, sell that Nambu feels just as guilty here, that he forgot about, like, his former friend and fighter, you know? Yeah, it's just, like, it's so emotional. And so, the day of the fight has arrived, the ultimate collision between Nambu's students past and present. The fight begins, and from the onset, Joe looks to be in for one hell of a match as Aragaki gets an early knockdown in the first round. Mm. Yeah, things are not looking too hot here for our boy Joe. No, yeah. just keep in mind when watching these two, like, if you get, like, three knockdowns in, like, one round, I think that technically counts as a TKO in some boxing. Yep, that is uh, officially a TKO, although I believe... For the most part, it depends on the ref. It's always up to the uh, referee's discretion. Right, it's one of those, like, dependent things. Yeah. 
Although I just I just love that there's like that that rule there in boxing that is just basically just like don't waste our time, stay yeah. down. Sure. Yeah. Also, it's like uh, keep the uh, health and safety of the competitors in mind. Right. Of course. You know you don't you don't want anyone walking away with like a major injury. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, basically being like a rep in like any kind of combat sport is probably like one of the hardest jobs to do. To, like, make those calls and to, like, know that, like, yeah. someone's life could be on the line if you make the wrong call, it's it's rough. Yeah, not to mention, like, all the criticism you could get from, like, fans who feel that you cheated them out of their money or yeah. something. Wasn't there, like, a recent UFC fight where, like, the match ended on a ref's decision and the, the ref who called the fight actually got death threats from fans? Uh, I want to say you're right. Yeah, like, I, I think I remember seeing something about that online and it just seems really fucked up. Yeah, I seem to remember, like, uh, John Pollock or someone on Post Wrestling talking about that. Mm. Oh, damn. So this brings us to episode six, Until the Last Dog Dies, or the Midsummer Heat might drive a dog to kill, but it'll never break him. Might I mention, though, the cliffhanger from that first round knockdown. Ugh, man, that was rough. That was. Because I watched that show, like, weekly as it came out. So just, like, you just see that. So it's like... like Oh God! Oh, yeah, and you're already like, you know, is this gonna is it gonna end? What's this gonna week? happen now? <laughs> you're gonna leave me a week with this? Yeah, really? I mean, thinking about thinking back to it when it aired on Tsunami, I kind of remember having that same feeling, going like, okay, can it be next week already? I got to see the rest of this fight. You're right. Yeah, they do that a lot in this show. Just like, okay, now what? And it's all really effective. Yeah, yeah it hooks you in for the next episode. So Joe gets back on his feet before the counter ten and sees that Aragaki is staring daggers into Pops. Like, he's not even looking at Joe. He's just looking at his former coach going like, yeah, I knocked down your golden boy. What are you going to do about it? He's one bit of dialogue short of just straight up saying, I must break you. <laughs> yeah, basically. But then Joe tells Aragaki to turn his attention to him as he's the person he's got to beat here. And beat he does as it starts to reach the point where it becomes one-sided with Joe literally on the ropes. I feel like with every punch he lands, he's just going, This one's for you, Pops. This one's for you, Pops. Oh, this one's definitely for you, Pops. You remember Pete now? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I don't think Aragaki even gives a shit about Joe. No. He just cares about spiting Pops. Joe is just a punching bag to him. Yeah, exactly. Aragaki goes for another straight to Joe's face, but lucky for Joe, he's saved by the round coming to an end. Yes, indeed, he's saved. Pops feels the fight's a lost cause and cares more about the well-being of Joe, so he considers throwing in the towel and making sure Joe can just fight another day. But you know Joe, he's all like, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh. Uh, uh. <laughs> exactly. How, do you know how many times we reference death in the title of these episodes? <laughs> Not dead yet. <laughs> Not dead yet. Yeah, we're on a one-way train to Megalonia with no stops. Pop tries to stop him, and Joe's gonna have to kick him off the train. <laughs> Round two begins, and now Joe starts to use what Pop taught him. Split it evenly, 50-50. This agitates Aragaki, and he gets in another knockdown. And upon hearing Joe say that, we get some flashbacks to when Nanbu taught him the exact same thing, which is what ticked him off. He doesn't want to be reminded of, of those old days. Oh, yeah, he's getting yeah. mad now. He's getting mean. Joe's back up. He wants to win using what he learned from Nanbu. Aragaki plans on finishing Joe this round, but Joe's got other plans. To put it simply, Joe doesn't give a damn about what happened in the past between these two. This guy is in his way, and he's just going to beat him. We enter the fourth round, and it reaches the climax of the fight, which I will splicey right here. Gotta say, that kid's a real piece of work. Mm -hmm. Joe understood everything. He actually understood it. All the stuff he was practicing every day, building onto his core, would eventually break out of its shell and bear some real fruit. 50-50. Split it evenly. <laughs> Yeah! 
it up! That's it, you're wearing him down! Why? Joe's as durable as they come. He managed to survive fight after fight in the underground ring with gear that was basically useless. His body may take a beating, but his spirit won't be broken. Right now, the kid's like a red-hot piece of iron. The more he's hit, the tougher he gets. Just so you can move forward. Isn't that right? Aragaki! Bother me. For tomorrow. Huh? Right? <laughs> Coach Miyagi. Okay. fight because other than some of the later fights I feel this is definitely one of the most important fights in the series thus far because the the beat down on each other just drags on for like a for like just the random right amount of time the way they're just like slugging each other like just you know boxing glove against meat like, yeah you you really feel the uh, the intense uh, emotions that are being felt between these two these two men mm-hmm yep incredible 
moment there. Yeah, I love like you said. It's just it's just a straight up slugfest. We're just exchanging lefts and rights, lefts and rights. Yeah, this would be like a legit amazing boxing fight. Yeah, in, in real life, it's like it reminds you of some of my favorite moments in like very heated pro wrestling matches where like the opponents are just staring each other down, the crowd's just going nuts, and then they just go nose to nose, and then they just start wailing on each other, and the crowd's just going like yeah, yeah, ugh, man, good stuff. Uh, in the end, Aragaki ends up forfeiting, and so, at the end of the fourth round, your winner by technical knockout, Gearless Joe. Ah, oh, but Aragaki, Did though, it again. Like, has that great dialogue, though, with his, like, coach, where he's just like, I'm li- done. Like, I'm done, like, like, what do we say? To live another day, you know? Mm-hmm. He's gotta live another day. Yep. Like, he, like, he has that moment of peace where he's like, you know what? I don't need to win this, you know. It's good enough that I just live for tomorrow, you know. Yeah, because during and his coach like gives that look of like, you finally figured it out, man. Mm, it's so. And good. then they throw in the towel. Yeah, and also Aragaki, he suffered an injury in his le- in his like what's left of his leg. So if he kept going, he never would have been able to walk again, even with his prosthetics. And I'll I'll splice in the uh, the heart to heart between Aragaki and Nambo too because it's actually pretty emotional in all honesty. You came. Everybody, clear out. I appreciate it. No problem. So you were injured? Yeah. The doctor said I risked being bedridden for the rest of my life by pushing it so hard out there. But I had a difficult time letting go. When I heard about what you and Joe were doing, I thought it'd be a good way to go out. For all of it. An end to everything. But then, when I actually saw you again, after all those years apart, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I have been trying to figure that all out since that day we spoke in the park. And did you? (laughs) Joe told me something. Blame whoever you want, but in the end a man makes his own calls. I chose the path that led me here. I can't resent anyone for that. That includes you. I hold no ill will. I'm gonna move on. For me, tomorrow starts today. I made it this far on these legs. And that's, that should be far enough. Shouldn't it, Coach? Yeah. It was good to see your megaloboxing. You were amazing. <sighs> Would you mind giving this to Joe for me? You... You held on to this. I, uh... I ship out tomorrow. I see. Here. What is this? Aragaki. I was hoping to treat you to a nice dinner before you shipped out. So I bet all the cash I had, hoping for an upset. But guess what? I lost it all. 
Think of it as a uh, good luck charm. Hopefully, it'll keep you from getting shot. Leave your locker the way it is. This is your home. Remember that, okay? I'll be waiting for you. Right. That ticket? Honestly, it saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> You'll make it to Megalonia, right? <laughs> oh, that's good shit. Mm. Your boy may have shed a few tears. <laughs> mm -hmm, same here. But before the episode ends, we have three of the four competitors set for Megalonia. First up is King of Kings Yuri. Then we have Pepe Spider Iglesias, played here by Alejandro Saab. And Glenn Bloody Lion Burroughs, played here by Paul St. Peter. As for the fourth spot, most people are looking towards Gearless Show, but one person plans on putting a stop to that. Introducing Mikio Shirato, played here by Robbie Damon. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yes, indeed. And before we move on, I think on that note, it's, it's a good time to take five, so we'll be back in a few with the rest of Megalobox. Yo, ない真剣などれ。やつらげるのはきっと死ぬ時だけ。唯一の娯楽はメガロボス。あいつがあいつを心を救う。でまた拾い集めるゴミくず。To be quiet and do as you're told. That's how cowards live. Stay down! Megaloboxing fuses athleticism with innovative gear technology to create the future of boxing. What in the hell are you wearing? That's some busted-ass gear, little doggy. You remember the plan, right? Toward the end of the third round, you're gonna take the fall. I'm sick and tired of throwing these damn fights. If the kid wasn't wasting away in this hole, he might have had a shot at the big time. What the hell am I doing? Fighting in Megalonia means fighting at the highest level. And that means true Megaloboxing. You promised I could fight for real today. Here your partner was pretty pissed off. How's an illegal Megaloboxer with no fame and no ID supposed to make some money otherwise? What's this about true Megaloboxing? A street dog wouldn't understand. Try me. What's going on, partner? Why is the champ here with us riffraff and why is he calling you out? Just call this a sudden change in circumstance. Are you out of your mind? Megalobox premieres next Saturday at midnight. Only Toonami on Adult Swim. Mm, yeah. Uh. Yeah. 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 Yo, 
Two and episode, and episode seven, the road to death. If you're crossing this river, don't bother paying for a round trip. Nice. Gearless Joe's popularity continues to grow as seen through a montage showing the fans getting Joe tattoos, graffitiing his his face all over the place, and it's all accompanied by another sweet track. Fucking banger alert! Yeah. Banger alert! I think this one's probably my favorite. Like, if I had to choose a favorite. No, honestly, the one favorite I can single out is, like, the one track that, like, kind of pumps in whenever, like, the, the action is really, like, amping up during, like, the matches, you know? Oh, By the way, if you like this track, it's track number 49 on the OST. There you go. Excellent. And yeah, good on Joe actually getting, like, tattoos of himself on people, too. That's how you know you've uh, truly made it, when people will get tattoos of you. Yes, indeed. (laughs) However, despite this growing popularity, Joe's still nowhere near getting that fourth spot to Megalonia. Instead, it looks like that coveted spot it could be going to the winner of a match between Sugar R. Hill and Mikio Shirato. Definite reference to the Sugar Hill gang, obviously. <laughs> Actually, I would also say it's another reference to uh, Sugar R. It's obviously short for Sugar Ray, which is a nickname made famous in the world of boxing. So I got a bit Maybe. of a, yeah, well, got, a, got a bit of trivia here. So. Maybe double references. So yeah. It all began with a boxer, Sugar Ray Robinson, real name Walker Smith Jr., whose professional career ran from 1940 to 1965. He wanted to compete in his first boxing tournament at the age of 15, but uh, the legal age to fight was 18, so mm. he circumvented this by using it, by borrowing a birth certificate of his friend Ray Robinson, and subsequently he was told that he was sweet as sugar by a lady in the audience at a fight in Watertown, New York. So from that point on, he was known as Sugar Ray Robinson. Well then... Here the, we go. the birth certificate thing kind of sounds a lot like what Joe did with yeah. his ID. Yeah, it does actually. Yeah. So like maybe you're right. I still think it's a double reference. Yeah. <laughs> also, some other stuff on Sugar Ray Robinson. He would go on to be one of the most famous boxers in history and was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 1990. Also, a term we use to describe fighters in any combat sport, pound for pound, you know, like, oh, this guy is pound for pound, the toughest fighter here. Uh, it uh, was actually created because of him. Like, he actually made uh, sports analysts come up with that term. Oh, really? A little bit of history there. I like that. pretty awesome. Good on you, man. Also, another famous boxer who had the nickname Sugar Ray was Sugar Ray Leonard, who Mm -hmm. took the name in homage to Robinson. Yeah, how about that for some fun facts? Hmm, very cool. Learning a lot on this episode, might I say. Yeah. But Mikio easily wipes the floor with Sugar R as he's got special AI gear, which determines the most probably energy attacks and defenses given what's uh, going on in the match. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit like cheating, though? Uh, that's the one question I kind of had in my mind. 
I'm pretty sure there's like some rule where it's like it's not technically cheating, but it's more so just like using data to determine a fighter's movements. Yeah. You know what? He, you know who he kind of reminds me of? What's his face from Kill a Kill? Oh, uh, Inamuta. Inamuta. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I, he's definitely kind of like him. So yeah, in other words here, the gear is calling the shots, not Mikio. After claiming victory, Mikio pulls a Goldberg and tells the Gears Joe, You're next! Yes, indeed. And this will decide the final spot in Megalonia. Seems all too good to be true, especially considering this is a Shirato we're, we're dealing with, but, uh, ah, whatever. Woo! Much closer to the big dance. Yeah, go. Almost there. By the way, I have this written in my notes. We passed the moment, but you mentioned Shirato and all of this. Um, I, 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 I'm just going to read this line, this, this as written down here. Joe, a.k.a. the Daniel Bryan of Megalo Boxing. Yukio, the Stephanie McMahon of Megalo Boxing. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> An apt comparison. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, uh, uh, Erica Harlicker, who plays Yukiko, is actually a fairly big wrestling fan, and I'm pretty sure she was kind of uh, channeling a bit of uh, Steph in her performance. Ooh, nice. Yeah, that'll be something to ask her at a future convention. There you go. Oh, man, what we, we wouldn't give to, like, interview her about her love for wrestling, too. Yeah. That'd be fucking cool. Meanwhile, the Shirato group committee doesn't want this fight to happen as they planned on Mikio getting into the tournament based on his win against Trigger R. However, Yukiko allows the fight between her brother and Joe to happen as she doesn't want him to get any further. Yukiko originally booked the fight against Sugar with the intention of Mikio losing, but since he won, she has no choice but to turn to Joe. Also, Mikio called him out in the ring, and a good promoter knows that they need to give the fans what they want. Because, you know, any other promoter would be like, You don't like what... You like, you like what I tell you to like. Okay, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, Yukiko wants Mikio out because she doesn't want her brother showing up Yuri. Mikio knows this and wants to do whatever he can to oppose his younger sister. Sibling rivalries, am I right? Yeah. Good old-fashioned sibling rivalries. Yeah, and all this is based on the fact that uh, Yukiko was named the head of the Shirato group over him. And he's like pouting because he's like, oh, I don't have, I don't have... I don't have five more million dollars than what my sister makes each year. I was born with this silver spoon in my mouth, and damn it, I'm going to use it. <laughs> I'm not going to settle for no bronze spoon. <laughs> I want the golden spoon. That's what I want. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Joe gets back to training after being laid up after his fight with Aragaki, and now he seems stronger than ever. Though, yeah, he was pretty fucking banged up like yeah he, he was he, even pissing was blood rough oh yes we got yeah. yes that scene was really good that uh, was like oh that really got over that, and that made me feel a little gnarly when i saw yeah, that yeah that that's like some uh sam bridges death stranding piece yeah oh god except he's not chugging monster energy in this <laughs> <laughs> oh my god could you imagine gearless joe getting monster energy drink as a nice. sponsor uh, <laughs> just like since he's not wearing gear he can just like slap a logo on like uh his back or something the gloves or like on like yeah. his chest or something yeah, yeah <laughs> come out looking like brock lesnar with the jimmy johns, the jimmy johns on his trunks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his little jimmies <laughs> nice and so, the day of the fight is here. Mikio Shirato versus Gearless Joe. The winner moves on to Megalonia. Will Team Nowhere achieve their goal? Will Yukiko have her way and not see her brother advance to the Final Four? Uh, let's find out. Or will we? As before the fight, Mikio meets with Joe and informs him that he knows his little secret. 
he knows Joe faked his ID and that he's an illegal underground boxer. Oh boy. He plans on telling Ouch. the entire world this truth if Joe steps one foot in that ring. Joe goes to punch Mikio, but instead gets knocked out by Nanbu as he doesn't want the secret getting out. This match was over before it began. Mikio planned this from the start as he wanted an easy way to get into Megalonia. He wanted to stick it to his sister, and he wanted to bury Gearless Joe. What a fucking heel. Diabolical. This really, really this really convinced me that like they were gonna be like in a really hard spot here. Like this could actually like all end here. Yeah, like I remember watching this episode and I was just like, as soon as it ended, like, you know, like I said with the earlier episode with Aragaki, I'm just like, where do they go from here? <laughs> <laughs> How do, they get, how do they get out of this Because, like, crap? didn't it end with, like, the door closing? The door closing. And, and then cut to black? Yeah, you, have, you got the shot of, like, uh, Joe just slumped in the corner, knocked out. Uh, Sachio was just crying into him. Just mm-hmm. like, no, we can't lose this way. And then Mikio was just standing in his corner, just smug as hell, going like, yeah, I did that. And hey, if you need and if you need anybody to really get across smugness, then Robbie Damon is the one you go for. Robbie Damon is like so good at Excellent. playing these smug asshole yeah. characters. Well, I, I like especially what he does with the character of Mikio here because like uh, he's got a very naturally young sounding voice, but like I have noticed he kind of like I don't know how you would say like almost like adds a bit of like muscle to it yeah, or something. Yeah, gruffs it up a little. Yeah, gruffs it up a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. so it sounds a little bit more adult. Like because I was kind of second guessing myself like, is that really Robbie Damon? I'm like, yeah, it is, but like yeah. he sounds like a bit gruffer. He sounds a lot. Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds like he's got he's like uh, working his voice through like more muscle or something. Yeah, but really good. That's really that's really good acting there. Yeah, I agree. Very good from him. And now we have episode eight, Deadline of the Dream, or. No one else tells you when it's time to give up on your dream. So yeah, after all that, Joe's pissed. Uh, yeah, yeah it's like we're I all can imagine. <laughs> so Nambu and Sachio go to see Fujimaki to see if he can do anything about this and if he knows anything about Mikio so that they can use that as leverage against him. Fujimaki does inform them that Mikio didn't go straight to him for the info as, you know, even though he's this big crime boss, he still, you know, knows to when to keep his mouth shut. He doesn't let information leak out that, that easily. But instead, he t- informs them that uh, Mikio probably asked around the underground as people were definitely talking about Joe despite not knowing the full story. So that's how Mikio was able to deduce that Joe's ID is fake and everything. That's so, a little rat. Yeah. It, uh, what, a, what a jerk. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of how, like, uh, you, you remember in Sonic Adventure 2 when uh, Sonic and Tails plan on using the fake Chaos Emerald to trick Eggman, but uh, there's a cut scene where Eggman's just like, oh, they think they can trick me with that fake Emerald, and then it cuts to another scene where, like, uh, Eggman's gonna shoot Amy or something like that, and he goes, like, put the Emerald on the ground, and Sonic's like, okay, he turned into a big-time villain doctor, and then he tries, and he traps him, and he's all like, you really think you can trick me with that fake Emerald? And Tails is like, how'd you know it was the fake one? Because you just told me, Fox Boy. <laughs> yeah, you would. Blowing off a nice Eggman bluff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Mikio got the idea that, ah, his ID is fake, but... I, I know found you, you, faker. Remember, <laughs> do you remember the part in Sonic Adventure 2 where Sonic goes, uh, meow? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm more partial to the scene in... High five. Yeah. <laughs> I could not resist. Dunking on Mike. God. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm more partial to the scene where Sonic goes, ha, ha, one. That's good. <laughs> shout out to Snapcube. Yeah, shout out to Pain Marker. Look out. Ah. So, Fujimaki does have an idea on how to get some information on Mikio, so he uses his goons, hired goons, to bring in Koichi Mizuhara, played here by Christopher Corey Smith, as he used to work for the Shirato Group in developing gear. 
Koichi spills that he was once hired to design new state-of-the-art gear that's able to read the moves of the opponents. So he helped develop Mikio's AI gear, but uh, it was uh, the project was uh, cast aside in favor of the integrated gear that's currently used by uh, Yukiko's golden boy, Yuri. Right. So now it becomes clear when it comes to the Silver and rivalry. And so, with this info, Nambu goes to Yukiko to set up a rematch between Mikio and Joe, and he does everything he can to persuade her, but in the end it's no avail as uh, they go on to the uh, ceremony the, the following night to announce the competitors. Very prideful woman. Like, she's not gonna just cater to every, anybody. I would love to have seen, like, another montage of scenes of, like, uh, Nambu asking Yukiko to reconsider the fight, and he's like, please let them fight. No. Please. No. Oh, you're your best friend. No. Oh, you're mean. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we had another two episodes, we could dedicate an entire episode to just uh, to just Nanbu asking her. Yeah, <laughs> can, we, can we do the fight? No. Can we do the fight? No. Can we do the fight? No. Pretty please with sugar on top. Yeah. Pretty yeah. please with sugar and a banana sundae. <laughs> yeah. Will you take us to Camp Crossy? No. <laughs> no. Will you take us to Carpet? No. Just yelling at her. <laughs> Shirato, yeah, you... It'll literally you, be that. Yeah, Shirato, you cold. <laughs> so, after all that, Joe takes matters into his own hands and literally crashes the ceremony in his bike. Jesus. Yes! <laughs> yes! Oh, yes! Nearly commits, like, a hit and run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. That rules! Oh my god, I love that so much. It's like something Joe you would, come, it's like something you would like, script in a wrestling show. Exactly! That is exactly straight out of the playbook of like pro wrestling. Actually, you bring up that and pro wrestling, that is exactly how uh, the climax to the movie Ready to Rumble starring David Arquette begins. Yes! I think... I think the team watched Ready to Rumble when making this. Show. Arquette, he like becomes a state trooper and he like rides his like motorbike into like the, into the uh, wrestling match, the triple cage, and then he competes in the match with uh, Jimmy King. So <laughs> wait, does what that a mean garbage that... fucking movie? So, so, <laughs> so does that mean that Gearless Joe is gonna eventually go on to win the AEW World Title? Oh hell yeah! Is he eventually gonna become David Arquette? Yeah, <laughs> he's got to he's got to do it in a tag match. So it's going to be like him and Cody versus Jericho and, I don't know, Sammy G. Yeah, and he's got to pin that. Sammy G and the ref guys to like overlook Jericho pinning Cody and then just go out counts uh, Joe beating Sammy. Let's do it. Book it. Can Book I imagine, it I, I can, I'm already predicting our dumbasses like going to Kaiji Tang and asking him to do the line, Wrestling's not fake! I mean, he is a wrestling fan. <laughs> okay. Oh! Yeah. Right. He's okay. a wrestling fan. All right. Okay, where's the next convention that Kaiji's going to? <laughs> yeah, he better come back to Detour. Yeah, he ought to. I feel bad for missing him that time. Kaiji Tang, where where is his next? He's not telling me where his next con is. It's not what always going to say. For, like, not everybody has the website for that. <laughs> oh shit! He was Detective Pikachu in the Detective Pikachu game. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was, <laughs> yeah. He was Detective Pikachu until he yeah. got screwed out of his role by that damn Ryan Reynolds for the movie. Eh. I mean, if it was Dan DeVito, I'd understand, but Ryan Reynolds, hmm. Hmm. Kaiji Tang deserved better than <laughs> Deadpool. Take another roll from him. <laughs> yeah. Damn you, Deadpool. And so after Joe crashes in his motorcycle, he lays down the challenge for Mikio for, as Christian would say, one more match. One more match. One more match. And so, great Booker Yukiko agrees as she splits the final ticket to Megalonia in half, giving each to Joe and Mikio. There will be one more match to determine the final spot between Gearless Joe and Mikio Shirato. Get fucking in. 
Oh yeah. This feels, again, like a clearly pro-wrestling move. It really is. It really feels a lot like that. Straight down to the ripping the ticket in half bit. Yeah. And this brings us to episode 9. A dead flower shall never bloom, or the flower's buds smell rotten, its seeds returning to the earth. Good title again. Man. Hmm. The fight is on as we, the audience, come in midway through the second round, and Joe is getting his ass kicked. Yeah, seems to be typical for Joe. Yeah. Yeah, can't waste any time. Gotta get right into the match. It's the 2007 John Cena booking where, like, sell, sell, sell for the entire match, then hit your finisher and win. Yeah, basically. (laughs) And all this is thanks to Mikio's gear ace. Go ace! Yeah, go ace indeed. Which has been improved on this, as uh, this particular version of the gear was made to specifically fight Yuri. Yeah. Also, this gear is able to adapt to any situation as Joe tries to change up his fighting style, but Ace is able to learn those new patterns on the fly. I know, it's like everything they found out before, it's not going to work here. Yeah, that entire concept is so interesting of like an AI-assisted gear that can learn and adapt as it goes. Yeah, that's... That's really cool, actually. I get freaked out about like what what like modern robotics can do, like the, the way it can create like mo- like realistic movements and like move very naturally, you know. So it kind of makes for like a scary little moment here to know that uh, this yeah. thing will read everything you do and adapt and get better than you. Yeah, this. Yeah, yeah the technology in the show is just insane. Yeah, so Joe is at much more of a disadvantage Same here than he's ever been in the series. God, why don't they do, like, Megalo Baseball or something? <laughs> yeah. uh, Megalo yeah. Football. Yeah, yeah, Megalo Baseball. That's baseball in the late 90s. Megalo Soccer. <laughs> Megalo Soccer. There oh, we go. Yeah, there you go. Megalo Manchester United. There we go. <laughs> Gotta fight Real Madrid. Nice. Megalo Cricket. <laughs> <laughs> do it! Why not? Megalo XFL. Oh, yeah, that's the next evolution of the XFL. Yeah. And then Vince is going to bring back the WBF and oh. Pro. Oh, Ring. Megalo Ping Pong, directed by Masaki Yuasa. Hey. Oh, we got our next spiritual successor. <laughs> uh, so during this fight, we get some more info on the gear and on Mikio's history. Uh, how do you feel about the... I got to bring this up. Uh, how do you feel about the use of flashbacks during this fight? Great. Mm-hmm. Still, still pretty good as before. Not bad. Yeah, I like that. Because, of course, like, the, the, the story has to move along at a pretty, like, a brisk enough pace, you know? So yeah. They so, do, they, so they gotta, I understand that they gotta resort to uh, flashbacks here and there, you know? But, uh, no, they get across the backstory of the characters pretty well. Yeah, like, I feel that it works really well here, because, like, uh, oh, I'm gonna do it again. I gotta rip on Black Clover because of how they horribly do flashbacks in the middle of fights. Of course, Man. we gotta break out the old riding crop for your old Man, whipping boy you there. you two guys really have something of Black Clover. It's him! <laughs> it's him that has, like, the guff with Black Clover. You have it, too? No, like, not as much as him. Like, sure, I'll give out about, like, about, give out about Black Clover, but it's like, I don't beat a dead horse. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Black Clover, the way it works is just, like, they have a fight, they fight, 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 and then all of a sudden it's just like, by the way, here's some information just out of nowhere. Now, when it comes to that tactic, I've, I'm much more accustomed, I was much more accustomed to that during Bleach, because Bleach was, was like, the Ugh. famous one before Black Clover that heavily abused flashbacks. Fucking Bleach. Yikes. Enough said about that. <laughs> they, they, Type Kubo, or however you pronounce his name. He was horrible with flashbacks in that series. <laughs> you gave no single shits about I'm any just of the about, antagonists in that series. I'm just literally the thinking very end. about the famous photo of him. This one, <laughs> the one here. Of what a fucking douche. Shy. What a douche. 
Sorry, yeah, this yeah. is podcasting an inherently visual medium, I know. You just show me, yeah, Tony just showed us a picture of a tight Kubo with, like, arms crossed and, like, sunglasses. He looks during like... a photo shoot. He looks like wannabe tough MMA fan from, like, 2005. <laughs> fucking chode. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, that's that's our moment where we just give out about Bleach's author. Yeah. <laughs> Though I will say, the first, the first Bleach OP, pretty baller. Yeah, not bad, you know. Like, it's early days were good. It's early days were fine. Yeah, but uh, back to the whole thing with the flashbacks. Uh, I like the way how they do it here because it almost feels like how they actually broadcast uh, sports. You know, like, uh, you have a boxing match, you have your you have your round, then you have the uh, end of the rounds, and then between them you usually go to, like, analysts where they, like, break down the fight and they give us a little bit more story on the fighters and everything. And, like, that's how they're doing it here in between each of the rounds. There this you go. where we get the backstories on Mikio and his gear. Like, so it works perfectly. Yeah, exactly. They're kind of mirroring, like, a show. Like what you'd see on TV. Yeah. Right, right. You know, showing that they, they you know, they know, they, you know, the creators know actual boxing. But yeah. <laughs> so, Mikio continues to batter Joe as Ace becomes more and more synced with him. This continues to happen until Joe is finally able to figure out Mikio's Achilles heel. And remember Joe and Pop's conversation about it not mattering if the fighter using the gear isn't skilled enough. Joe squares up to Mikio... But he doesn't put his guard up, which throws Ace off. Which, as you brought up earlier, no guard, no Woo! guard. Now he's but now he has become guardless Joe, <laughs> destroyer. Total of throwback. Yeah. Another goddamn markout moment. But it also makes for but the moment is also slightly funny as Joe drops his guard. <laughs> yeah. And then his and like Mikio's gear is just like auto hitting, auto hitting, missing, missing, missing. Uh, it's it's kind of funny to me. It's like, it's like, I figured out your trick. <laughs> yeah, because Ace is thinking like, oh, he's up to something, but then Miku is just like, no, he's just standing there, let me punch him, but Ace is just like, no way, he's gonna do something. I know, he looks a bit like a fool there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Joe definitely looked like a fool in the original, so... But... No, 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 I was talking about Mikio, you know? He just looks like he doesn't know what he's doing well, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah it, it just goes to show that uh, without his gear, he's not a skilled boxer. It's so... like Inaba from Kill a Kill, like, oh, he... Yeah. Right, just like clicking all over. Clicking all the things, yeah. Yeah, you couldn't see me do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Mikio could turn off Ace's automatic functions in order to finish off Joe, but refuses as he says he is Ace and Ace is him. This stubbornness will prove to be his downfall, and I shall splice in the finish. If I had disabled automatic control, I could have beat him. Did Ace make a bad call? Am I... Am I doubting myself? Synchronization is at 80% and steady. But at this point, it doesn't really matter. Gearless Joe can barely even stand up. You should be fine, even if you disable Ace's automatic What the hell do you idiots know? (gasps) Ace's decisions and the ones that I make are the same! You have a problem with that, you jackass? No, sir. It doesn't matter what that lowlife's planning to do. It's gonna end right here! Joe seems to be helpless against the ultimate gear. He still hasn't brought his guard up. Is he too exhausted to go on? Will this be the round that decides who goes on to Megalonia? I can't see a damn thing out of this eye anymore. You make the call on what he'll use for his last shot. It's in your hands now, Pops. (laughs) Wow, you're betting on me? You must really be desperate. Maybe. Either way, I feel like betting on you. Right or left? (laughs) We've been through this before. 
Back then, we were betting on him, injuries and all, and his lack of gear. I'd say if Mikio's got the ultimate gear, then we've got the ultimate gearless. His finishing blow is gonna be... The same as before, straight right. Intercept it with a left. <laughs> is this what Ace wants? Or is it me? Too late. Each other with straight rights to the face but only Mikio goes down while Joe stands his ground because uh, Joe was more skilled. Kind of calling back to the cross counters from the original show. Oh yeah. Mm, okay. You know, Joe wasn't as skilled as Ace but Joe was definitely more skilled than Mikio. Uh, what do you guys think of this fight actually? Doesn't he drop him in like one punch? It, like one good punch technically? Something like that. Yeah once they do like the cross punches then like that's what drops them. Just bam! Down. Yeah, and Joe takes it like he gets like shot right in, got yeah, like a punch right into the jaw, and he just Ooh. stumbles, but then he just stands straight up. Ooh, just overcoming a rich boy—it's satisfying. And so Gearless Joe officially punches his ticket to Megalonia. He did he, it. And he stares down Yuri, who's in the crowd, and he and says he made it. He's in his ring now. Yuri says he doesn't have to fight stray dogs, but you should know that, Joe. Finally acknowledging him. The, <laughs> the yes. date has been set. Oh, oh yeah. It's been set. Oh, boy. Also, I just love the whole acknowledging thing. It kind of reminds me of uh, Aleister Black acknowledging uh, Velveteen Dream at uh, NXT TakeOver War Games a year ago. Oh, Ooh. yeah. That was... Yeah, I can see that. Brings they watched Megalobox when they were writing the show. I don't, I, I, I don't know about that for sure. That's your hot theory. That's, that's my that's my uh, fan headcanon. Gamer theory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this brings us to episode 10 The die is cast Or the dice have been thrown You can double your bet if you want The celebration is on However it looks like it's the end of the ride For Team Nowhere As Pop sneaks away from the victory party And is confronted by Fujimaki Who tells him that he needs to tell Joe and Sachio The truth about, her, about their deal And so the truth comes out Ooh 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 what do you think of this? Oh, this is heartbreaking. Rough. It shows that Nanbu's still that, still that, still that, what am I trying to say? Like, ratty, grimy trickster that he's always been. A scorpion. They describe him as a scorpion yeah, in yeah, the series. A he's got a Stinging the people he gets close to. Yeah, and like, yeah, he tells that, he tells Joe that he has to take a dive in the first round of Megalonia. 
It was the only way he could, get, he could get the deal with that mob boss, too. He straight up says, like, yeah, I had to make this deal that, like, you had to throw Megalonia when we got there. And Joe just starts thinking, like, you never believed me. This is all just to cover your yeah. ass. I know. I was just thinking, you. like, you fucking rat. Yeah, he gets fucking pissed and just darts off on his motorcycle. Uh, why, Pops, why? No. Joe and Sachio have lost all faith in Nambu, but he's got to keep his end of the deal. Otherwise, not only will Fujimaki kill him, but he'll also kill Joe and Sachio too. Yeah, Sachio here, he gets really fucking pissed. Rough times ahead, and this close to Megalonia, too. <sighs> yeah, not good for Team Nowhere. Mm, win Megalonia or lose our kneecaps. Tough choice. Yeah, that's a tough choice there. Hey, Aragaki, do you know anyone who knows any good prosthetics? Oh! Mm, maybe. <laughs> uh, after Sachio runs away the previous night, Pops finds him and tells him that he knows the truth about his father, who's uh, in the picture that he keeps uh, stashed away in his hat. He well, found... there's what, there it is. Yeah, he found out through uh, Mizuharo when he was getting interrogated earlier that uh, his dad was killed by the Shirato group, and the reason was he was uh, developing uh, some gear and they just didn't want to let it get out. And there's why Sachio got so close to Joe. Yeah, he wanted to join up with him because he heard, like, oh, these guys are going to Megalonia. Yeah. They're facing the Shirato group. Yeah, these street rats are coming for Shirato. So he can avenge his daddy. Sachio was using them, too. They're they're all not perfect. Oh. I love that there's, like, no perfect person in this show. No. It's great. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really good way they do this. Yeah, everybody's got their own motivations, their own drives, and that conflicts with each other. Yeah, they're they're all very selfish because, like, in a way, because you know Joe just wants to win because just to prove himself. Pops wants to cover himself. Sachio just wants revenge. At least, but can you? I don't know, but can you blame any of those three who have no, been like, all, just like tread upon in society? They all have yeah. valid reasons because you know Joe has been like shat on by society. Sachio lost his dad, and Pops is just like. He's in too deep with the mafia. He has no choice. Yeah, like those were their one. Like they had like some some of those one things they had in life. They gave him joy and like just losing that. You know, it's yeah, like it's, it's rough. Yeah, and like after all these like four fight, all these five fights leading up to Megalonia, they were like the ha- happiest clams, and it's just like all of it just seems as nothing. Yeah. So pops takes Sachio away and goes to Yukiko to take him in as payback for everything that happened. Also, he wants to protect Sachio from Fujimaki as he knows he wouldn't go messing with the Shirato. And also, I really like the scene before he takes Sachio into Yugiko. He get, he's like, hey, the Shiratos are right there. And he hands him a knife. He's like, you want your revenge? Go get it. What if he just yeah, ran out the car and like, just oh like a knife? Oh my god, that scene was really good. That was just so good. And I mean, kudos to Erica Mendez for playing that so damn well. Yeah. Well, you want your revenge? Here, have a knife. Yeah. Go stab her to death. Yeah, will it change anything? No. What if he actually did and just ran out of the car? <laughs> yeah, Pops, Pops would have That been would like, be a twist, to say the least. And then you just hear shanking in the background. Yeah. I, and Pops would have been all like, oh, I, I didn't mean that for to happen. Oh, oh, uh, I was just trying to teach the kid a little something. Now we're wanted for murder. <laughs> <laughs> it <runs off. laughs> Good luck in Juvie, kid. <laughs> uh, fun fact, Joe actually is in Juvie in the original. Ah, <laughs> there <you> go. Sorry. <laughs> Don't want... Good luck being like that other Joe. <laughs> uh, it's, it's fun to do Nambu's voice. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Later on, we finally arrive to Megalonia as the semifinals are underway. First match is Pepe Spider Iglesias versus King of the Ring, Yuri. 
hey, if he's king of the ring, then where's his big dumb Baron Corbin king outfit? <laughs> <laughs> and where's his theme song that starts off with like this dumb heavy metal rock and then switches to regal king music and then switches back to the rock? <laughs> Hey, don't rule out Pepe Spider Iglesias hey, here, though. Hey, we don't... don't you dare talk talk shit about WWE's music department. Fucking, he goes from, I'll bring the darkness, I am the thunder. I am the darkness, I'll pull you under. God. Oh, God. Hey, don't oh. you rule out Pepe Spider Iglesias, though, because he comes into the ring in style. Oh, yeah. Oh, representing yeah. Mexico. Just oh, a big, man. like, Calavera skull from behind him. He's got a mask on and Those shit. Those entrances are fucking His gear has, like, shit. a skull motif. Like, fucking cool. Yeah, Pepe's cool as shit, yeah. man. Also, one, and yet we know nothing about him. <laughs> one cool thing I like about Pepe is that during the uh, the press conferences leading up to Megalonia, uh, he does his entire press conference in Spanish. Yeah, I appreciated yes! that. And uh, and also, perfect casting for Alejandro Saab, because he is uh, Hispanic. Oh, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, so he spoke full Spanish throughout the entire thing, too. I always appreciate I always appreciate a role more when, like, the voice actor can also be, can also show, like, their, uh, their bilingual, their being them bilingual, you know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so I thought, like, ah, oh, that's so cool. Good on you, Kagi. Especially since in many anime you don't see other languages uh, pop up too often. No. I mean, I guess it kind of is very dependent on the character and the story you're telling, you know? But yeah. it's like, I just kind of wish I'd seen that more, you know? Yeah. So I'm glad we got a little, little taste of that here. We got some, uh, Nice uh, Latinx flavor here. And so the fight is on, and while the two seem to be on par with each other, there is no question who walks out with the W. The King of the Ring lives up to his moniker as he rules over Spider. After the fight, Joe and Yuri have a little one-on-one -on -one conversation outside the arena where they discuss what they're fighting for. The thoughts on this scene? Ooh. It's mm. a lot to take in, you know? It, <coughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, where they just lay down all their motivations. You know, Joe just wanting to... He's just here to just prove that he is the best and that he can fight on someone as level as Yuri. You know that, like you know, like when like when I just get when you just get out there, like and when I just like fight, you know, it feels like everything makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like this is how like this is how I feel like I'm fulfilling my life here. And you also start to see the more the growing mutual respect between uh, Joe and Yuri. And also I like the moment where like uh, before this happens, uh, Yuri's dog goes up to Joe and is very friendly to him, and then Yuri's all like, "Huh, he's never really that good with strangers." Well, there you go. Oh, total bromance between these two. <gasps> Just fuck already. <laughs> mm. Yeah, if only. But True headcanon OTP. There you go. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, a drunken Nambu stumbles around until he's found by Fujimaki, and he tells Pops the story of the scorpion and the frog. Mm, oh boy. Classic story, yes. Yeah, so the story is that uh, Scorpion wants to cross a river, but he can't, because if he goes <laughs> in the water, he'll drown and die. But then he sees a passing by frog, and he says, The frog, hey carry me on your back across but the frog's like no you'll sting me but the scorpion's just like no I, w I promise you I won't sting you about halfway across the river the frog stops as he's been stung he's like why did you sting me I'm a scorpion it's just in my nature there this, you go this modern day and age that's such a cynical like Aesop fable though yeah so yeah. cynical kind of foreshad kind of kind of harkens back to episode 7 the road to death if you're crossing the river don't bother paying for a road trip mmm I thought of that just now, deep. And yeah, this just goes to show that uh, Namu can't let that kind of scammer side of him go, that he's just in his nature. You're always going to be a scam artist. 
And so we have episode 11, A Dead March, or Enough of the Glooming Hymns, Give Me Something with Trumpets. Nice. <laughs> yeah. King Corbin's theme song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one semifinal match down, there's only one left. Joe versus Burroughs, and per the orders of Fujimaki, Joe has to throw this fight. Yep. Oh boy. Meanwhile, Sachio refuses to watch Joe fight as he knows that they plan on throwing this one, and also he just feels that Joe and Nambu just abandoned him. He doesn't want to have anything to do with them right now. Yeah. Uh, Truly depressing the situation Sachio's in right now. Yeah. Just a kid. And so the competitors make their way to the ring as Nambu watches from a skybox along with Fujimaki to ensure that he keeps his end of the deal. And I like how while this is going on, Fujimaki is just enjoying a very nice fish dinner as he's just kind of like uh, poking at it with his fork, especially around the eye. Oh, mm. Just man. taunting Pops going like, oh, you know what'll happen. Mm-hmm. Shit. Every time he, he was poking that eye, I'm like, oh no. Please Don't try, please try the fish. fish. I, please try the fish. I poached it myself. <laughs> <laughs> just another one of his recipes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me if I got the spices right. Sounds Is the like, skin crispy enough? <laughs> sound like Mads Mikkelsen and Hannibal there. <laughs> Please, I'm trying to I'm trying to put together a nice Instagram here. Where I'm <laughs> and holy shit, Burroughs' entrance to this. Yes! He rides in oh, on a friggin' monster truck, brother. Oh. Dude, that's like Rusev WrestleMania tank entrance level. Living in America. <laughs> Good job. Uh, it's a, it's like he got the bringing uh, Ted Turner WCW money, you know, when like uh, Hulk Hogan and uh, Big Show had like a monster truck sumo match on the top of a building. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. And then the weeks leading up to that, he like bringing bought Big Show a monster truck, and Big Show just kept driving it around, running over Hulk's motorcycles and everything. Yeah. Yes. Just laughing maniacally outside the window. Side note, those WCW monster trucks were in a video game, Monster Truck Madness 2. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Nice. And then Joe makes his entrance, but with a twist. He's full <laughs> gear ready as he's wearing his old gear. Boo, that's not what we want us to see. Nope. Yeah. And he's alone. Yeah, so no Sachio, no Pops. Well, no Pops in his corner because he's watching him from the skybox. So he did at least is. get his own graphics somehow, like, put up on the screen. And I was like, who did that? Probably paid, like, an editor backstage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just came out to music, like, why can't we be friends? 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 <laughs> and not the original version, the Smash Mouth version from Shrek. <laughs> Even better. Uh, you should have had like a, his Titantron be like kind of the the scratchy pencil drawings that the uh, the B team have. Yes, should have been like fucking Steve Blackman. B team, B team, go go go. Or like a, like you said, Steve Blackman, where he's just Joe sticks Afro. Classic Steve Blackman. Uh, Nambu informs Joe that he has to last until the third round, and that's when the dive is supposed to happen. Until then, Joe's got to put on a show. Make it look good, then do the job. 
As the fight continues, Nambu starts to get into it as he's talking to Joe over his earpiece and he's starting to act more like a real trainer despite telling him not to win. Hey, ref, that guy's got an earpiece in his ear. What? You gotta get rid of that. Yeah, Nambu, up in, <laughs> Nambu up in the booth just like, ah, shit, that didn't work. <laughs> nah, man, it's uh, just his AirPod. He forgot it. Yeah, yeah, he was listening to some tunes to pump him up, man. He was bumping some 50 Cent. What? What? What does he listen to? Good God, it's all toilet sounds. <laughs> also, uh, during this fight, with every hit Joe takes, his gear starts to fall apart. Yeah, kind of mirroring back to whatever fight it was where his gear is falling uh, apart. It's uh, Potemkin. Mm. Yes, Potemkin. Meanwhile, Sachio thinks about what's all happened with the team and feels Joe and Nambu were just looking out for themselves. But then he realizes that he was no different than it happens. It fucking happened! Like, the one thing I didn't expect yes! to occur. Oh my, oh my god. god. This scene. Sachio breaks into a rap. <laughs> Splicey. We were supposed to be a team, but in the end, everyone only cares about themselves. And I wasn't any different. I was just using Joe to get vengeance for what happened to me. But now... Fighting and scraping just to beat the top one No way you should stop fun Till the job's done You stepped in the ring as Gearless Joe Now it seems as though Fear is all you know You've given up from your number one dream You forgot all about our nowhere team I'm not just some kid my name is Sachio, but on this road it's Tsunami, who chooses where to go? And no matter how hard it gets, keep trying. Don't worry about Nambu and all of his lying. The past is in the past, no need to rewind. The fears are in your mind, look forward, not behind. All I wanted was us three in the end. Winning it all, don't care about revenge. Let's take the tight to use all your might. Dig deep inside and win the last fight. You're, okay, you're putting the dub version in yes, here. Yes, definitely. Because oh, let's go the original one is on the soundtrack. It's what? Like 50-something if you want to listen to it. Right, the, right. The dub one is not on the soundtrack. No, just made just for the dub when it aired on Toonami. And right, right. I, okay, so like... <laughs> Don't worry, you can give out about it. <laughs> so, I, was, I, never wa I had never watched the dub version of this until... I did the other day for before recording the show. Um, when the rap part came in, I'm like, yeah, they. I don't know. I, I bet they'll just go to the original. Nope, Erica did it. She yep. did it. She killed it. She. I lost my shit. I know, and it's not rare for um, anime to do that either, where like they straight up dub like their like. Um rap music or even like music period the only times they ever really do that is if the anime is a music anime mm -hmm. for the most part and only if the anime is dubbed by Funimation because they mostly dub songs in their shows right yeah. but right. for like stuff done by like say Bang Zoom or Studioopolis like look no further than like uh, when Love Live got dubbed like they didn't dub the songs mostly because it was too expensive to license and plus the songs were too well known but still, yeah. they didn't dub them plus it can be hard too because you are because you are translating from Japanese You're translating from Japanese yeah. you have to keep the original intent and also above all else you gotta match lip flaps it's gotta oh match God, the yeah. lip flaps it's, it's got it's like you gotta rhyme in the right parts too mm -hmm. there's a like that is 
really tough to do. Yeah. They skillfully dubbed this. Yeah, Erica Mendez, well, you killed it. I, <laughs> I, I ran that back like five times. <laughs> Why would you rate Sachio's rap debut? <laughs> <laughs> it's fire. It's fire. He's going to drop a mixtape. It's going to be hot. Hi, Rythony Funtano here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's time to review uh, Sachio's uh, debut uh, single right here. Uh, Sachio, member of Team Nowhere, a uh, bit of an up and comer in this, uh, in this uh, very uh, grimy world yeah. we have here, you know. Um, uh, an assistant to Gearless Joe, uh, really rapping from a different uh, sort of lifestyle here in the world. And uh, I have to say that I believe their experimentation and uh, their distillation of their life really resulted in a uh, very fine single right here. Uh, I'm going to give it a uh, strong 8 to a uh, light 9 right here. I'm very happy to see what will come out of uh, Sachio's future going Tra- forward. Transition. Transition. <laughs> awesome. That was amazing. Good job. I am yeah. proud of that. Good job, Ryan. <laughs> you did it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. But yeah, I remember when like the dub cast was announced for this and everyone was just going all like, Oh, Erica, she's going to do the rap. She's done. She's gonna do the rap. She's gonna do the thing. <laughs> uh, when the episode aired on Toonami, everyone was just all like, "Ah, oh my god, this is amazing." Yeah, she's not bad. She's not bad. Uh, second anime within a year since we started this podcast where you feature a character rapping out of nowhere. <laughs> Good stuff. Because <laughs> remember when we did uh, Fooly Cooly? Fooly Cooly. Harko rapping too. Yeah, Harko's yeah. little bit. Then we get the finish of the fight, and I shall splicey it in. It's over. Sachio! The boy. Yuri! haven't forgotten what you told me, have you? Do not disappoint me, understand? Nobody's gonna take tomorrow from you! Get up! 
Get up and fight! This is it! Tomorrow's coming, Joe! You've got the true skills of a champion, and that's a Gonsaku Nanbu guarantee. You're not taking falls anymore! It's not gonna end like this. this fight ends Ooh, oh quite boy nice i love i just love the swelling emotions that come out of this yep nanbu's just like screw it go all out and he just starts fighting all the goons and then sachio just runs in and says joe you gotta fight don't give up get up joe get up you bum you fight <laughs> tell him nanbu loves you well to be fair what spurred him on of course though was like the the mob boss straight up saying like like no, you, you like no, you got this all wrong. You think like you're gonna throw this match and then like compete in Megalo Megalovania next year? Not no Megal Megalovania. This isn't Undertale, man. This ain't no, Megalo you're not Kenny Omega. No, no, it's, you're not gonna. You think you're gonna compete in Megalonia next year? No. After this, you're gonna be fighting in my ring for the rest of your life. Like you're I, not gonna have a future after this. I own your ass. Man. I own your ass. Yeah. And then Nanbu, clearly seeing that he got screwed out of this, noticeably goes for broke. <laughs> He's got nothing to lose at this point. Exactly. And I just love Sachio running in, the guards are all like, get this fucking kid out of here, but then Yuri, the champ, just like, no. Let him go. Let, Let him, him go, go, man. Yells out to Joe, like, is this all you got? Didn't you want to fight me? Isn't that what you've trained for? Isn't that your dream? <laughs> Ooh, and then that sends Joe into overdrive. And then he just nails Burroughs with one knockout hit. Drops the gear Incredible. and just decks him. Ah, Team Nowhere is back together, and they collectively tell Fujimaki to... Suck it! Oh, <laughs> yes. yes. DX crack chops here, baby. Oh, so Joe... Uh, excuse me. Gearless Joe fights for real and finishes off Burroughs. This stray dog has beaten a lion. Yes, he did. Nice. Good job, my boy Joe. Kicking ass, taking names. Oh, yeah. Ascending the rankings, baby. But they have, they're not going to walk out of this unscathed. The, the toughest is yet to come. Yeah, because back with Nambu, he settles up everything with Fujimaki. 
literally an eye for an eye. Holy yeah. shit. All that fish, all that fish poking earlier. Yeah, like, you, you see a shot of him, like, grabbing a knife. He's, he's like, like, back to a corner. Yep, and then Nambu's like, don't, I settled it. I settled it, Joe. And then you just, and then you can kind of see, like, he turns briefly, and then there's just blood pouring from oh, his eye. God. And he's just cupping it. And you can see, like, the, the freaking dinner knife that he used to cut it off yeah, on the floor. Yeah, just, I remember seeing that for the first time, and I'm just like, oh, God. Jesus! What the guy was just like Nambu, you you know I was just going to double your di- you double your debt after this, right? And rack up Sachio and Joe with debt, right? Like you didn't have to do that. <laughs> also, if you're gonna cut off a body part, you do know I usually go for pinkies. I mean, we are basically yakuza here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm uh, not gonna say you screwed the pooch here, but um, yeah, kind of screwed the pooch. Well, here. yeah. <laughs> But in the end, impressed by the spectacle, Fujimaki agrees to let Team Nowhere go. The debt has been repaid, and now the team can focus on the final match as their goal is one fight away. Even he had to recognize that this team yeah. had balls. He's just like, wow, he cut out his own eye. He's officially blind. <laughs> He's just like, okay. I got nothing. Fine. <laughs> Get out of my sight. I don't want to see you ever again. <laughs> yeah, I guess Fujimaki can be swayed. And this brings us to episode 12. Leap over the edge of death, or if you're going to leave your album behind at the water's edge, then you don't want to cross that this particular river. Oh boy, another river. Yeah. By the way, uh, do you remember when this episode aired on Toonami? The the time and date? I heard something about this. Yeah, what happened? I don't recall properly. specific St. Patrick's Day on Toonami. You know, the night uh, what, what would seem maybe someone at Adult Swim was getting a little too... Uh, celebrating St. Patrick's Day early and cut off the feed to a certain episode of SAO. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah someone, at, someone, that at, someone at Adult Slim was maybe uh, celebrating with a little too much of the bubbly. The bubbly. bubbly. <laughs> yeah, because when this episode aired, uh, before this sort of online season three was airing and it was being god-awful, like, I remember specifically... Like like you do with Sword Art Online. I remember this specifically, like, uh, episode was airing, got, like, five minutes in, they were spouting some kind of gobbledygook, I don't care, I don't give a fuck about right. sale. More and, like Sword Fart Online. Exactly. <laughs> and then, the episode just kind of cuts off weird, and I think, like, oh, this is probably, like, my TV or something like that. I have satellite at the time, so I'm thinking, like, oh, okay, is my signal being crap or something like that? And then it just cuts to black. And usually when I do that, I just, like, okay, flip to another channel and then flip back to it. It's, like, turning the computer off, on and off. Yeah, yeah. And But nothing changes. It immediately goes to commercial, and then I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? And then I go on Twitter, and then I see people, like, going, like, hey, is anyone else's feeds of sword art switching on and off? And then, lo and behold... Everyone else was experiencing the same problem. It was wow. a St. Patty's Day miracle. Then it came back from commercial, went back to commercial again, and then halfway through uh, Sword Art's runtime, this episode of Megalobox began airing. And people were like, oh shit, I was oh like, shit, start watching Megalobox, Sword Art Online is being preempted. It's a St. Patty's Day miracle. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the, the guy in the booth over at uh, Turner there, Cartoon Network Land, was like, Fuck this show! Plunk! And it, threw it out. It was basically that moment in a Futurama where Fry spills beer on the console and knocks off single female lawyer. Smashes oh, yeah. a bottle of Jameson whiskey all over it. <laughs> yeah, so this episode, yeah, this episode aired early, but then like to make sure the block went off 
the rest of the night without a hitch. They replayed the first 15 minutes of this episode again to make sure the timing for the rest of the night was still on. <laughs> but still, I thank you, Megalobox, for coming in and delivering a surprise knockout to SAO for one Hell night yeah, only. fuck you, sword art. Big thanks to Tullamore Dew for inspiring <laughs> this lack of, that lack of SAO that night. Sword <laughs> fart online. Uh, I just had to bring that up because I, I love that so much. That is a good story. So before Joe and Yuri duke it out, the two have to prepare, and we've also got some other things to take care of. First off, Yukiko has made a deal with the military for her integrated gear development and promises a win by Yuri in order to show off the power of her gear as she sold off the designs to the military. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah we, we soon find out that she uh, plans on using uh, the gear to like kind of help aid uh, soldiers at war, but we also see that the military is all like, hey, we want weapons on these things, can you do that? And she's like, no, this is just for like enhancing skills. Yeah. Not quite what they're looking for. Little did she know that the military doesn't in, doesn't invest in melee fighters. <laughs> yeah, but still, in the end, she just she was basically just using Yuri to just help ensure this military deal. Yep, she's why she's pushing Yuri so damn hard. And so to celebrate this, she uh, joins up with Yuri and pours out a little bit of the bubbly. Yeah, <laughs> that's like the. Fourth time this episode. Like, I remember watching that, like, for this podcast, and, like, as soon as she starts pouring champagne... You we were I, like, oh, I'm in a bubble! I marked out super hard. I'm just like, ah, yeah, there it is! <laughs> <laughs> I can thank you, Jericho. Yep, all the Jericho-holics out there watching Megalobox with a little bit of the bubble. Uh, but unfortunately, the bubble is denied as Yuri reveals he plans on having his gear surgically removed. Oh, boy! He wants to fight Joe in a regular, real boxing match on his level. Since Joe has something to prove, he does as well. Shirado just, just reacts like a parent who is told by their kid they're going to like run off to San Francisco or something. Yeah, she's all like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Meanwhile, with Joe, he's getting some extra help with his training from Aragaki since Pops is blind now. Though, despite that, Pops still doesn't stop being his coach. No, he, he does no. not. He is he is no less of a hard ass. No, there's like even a scene where like uh, Joe's training and then Pops is all like, Hey Joe, watch your foot movement there. You're getting a little sloppy. Yeah. Oh, he like Bounce. hears him. He hears He's like, use both feet. Bounce your weight. Yeah, and then everyone's all like, Pops, you're blind. How do you know this, Dad? I can hear him. I know what he's doing. He specifically uses the phrase, let me see, I think I'm paraphrasing here, but like, your footsteps sound like the sloppy farts of a half-asleep cow. Yeah. I feel like you're, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Because I think like his, well, I think what makes it better is that I think when he said that, uh, the, the screen was away from his lip flaps. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, so they had a little the script writers could have a little liberties. bit fun. Yeah, yeah, as long as it uh, fits the timing, they could have uh, took a little liberty there. The sloppy mm-hmm. fart of a half-asleep cow. <laughs> Superb. Back with Yuri, he goes to have his gear removed with the help of Mikio. Yeah, after his fight, after his loss with Joe, he's exiled himself to a cabin in the woods and it seems to have done him good as he as he's much more happier now, more content with himself. Yeah. He's going to become a lumberjack or something. And he's okay. <laughs> hey, this ain't Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> and after a long and arduous surgery, Yuri is now... Gearless Yuri, indeed. Yeah, Yukiko, you say you say that like he's now like uh, Ultra Instinct, like yeah, an Ultra looks, Instinct Super Saiyan. Yeah, <laughs> he looks freaking torn up though. Yeah, yeah. Yukiko comes by and she's strongly against this and plans on canceling the fight as she doesn't want Megalodian to end with just two normal boxers. Like this isn't what Megalobox is built on. 
Yep. Also, another reason she has to cancel this fight is she finds out that uh, Joe's ID is indeed a fake, and he's not a legal fighter and just a sham fighter. Right, just found out what her brother found out. But even with all this, Yukiko isn't going to call off the match just yet. And uh, we go back to Joe, and I do like this little uh, flashback we have where uh, Joe and Nambu first meet, and I think it's a nice little moment here. Oh, yeah. Where Joe's just kind of like this, uh, he's kind of doing the, uh, you remember the movie uh, No Holds Barred with Hulk Hogan and Zeus? <laughs> Oh. You remember, like, all those fights where, like, Zeus is just beating up guys in, like, oil, in, like, refineries and, like, factories? This is basically what Joe was originally doing before he teamed up with Nanbu. He was just beating up, like, numpty nobodies yeah. in, like, a, like, bar somewhere with, like, Peter Dinklage and a cage of above. <laughs> all that's missing is to have, like, uh, have, like, uh, the first initial of his name shaved into his hair on the side and have, like, one eye crooked. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Yuri has waken up from his surgery and is in immense, horrible pain. Yeah, as you can imagine. And Yukiko offers him help, but he with uh, some uh, drugs that he has to inject into himself. But he's just like, "No, I gotta fight through this pain on my own." Like, Dude, you literally had like you turned metal down the Ico Pro. You had metal flayed from your skin. Uh, you can afford a few painkillers. Come on, you gotta want it. By the way, this whole thing of, like, uh, Yuri being in, like, horrible pain and just, like, you just see shots of, like, Yukiko and Mikio just, like, listening on to him in, like, another room while he's just screaming in pain. It kind of reminds me of, uh, I remember in the uh, Impel Down arc of One Piece when Luffy is uh, recovering from his poisoning. You just hear him screaming and screaming for, like, another room while everyone's just, like, listening into on it. Oh, yeah, that was rough as well to see. Yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, Yukiko finds Joe to tell him that she knows about the fake ID, but she won't stop the fight. She also tells him about Yuri removing his gear. And upon hearing that, you just see Joe have, like, this look on his face where he goes, like, Oh, this is gonna be good. Mm. He's in love. <laughs> yeah, he's thrilled with that. I have the weirdest boner right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about, thinking about Yuri down there in pain. I want to go Subtitles just read audible creasing sound. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, get excited as it's time yes, for it your is. main event with episode 13, the finale. Here we fucking go, folks. Oh. Born to die, or though the flesh may rot, the bones will remain. They are the proof that you were alive. Oh boy. Man, oh. it's your main event. Oof. Love that. Before the fight, Nambu gives Joe the same dog race ticket that he once gave to Aragaki, because he initially gave Aragaki that as a good luck charm, and now he's passing it down to Joe. Well, one little moment, like, uh, even before that, is when, uh, it's it's a small one, but, like, Nambu just dancing. Like, yeah. He's playing, like, a little bit yeah. of, like, crappy, like, a, like almost like waltz music or something, you know? Mm. It's, like, kind of old. And, and the, it sounds as, like, old and tattered as the lives they've been living, but, like, He's just, like, dancing around all by himself, and even tries to get Sachio yeah, in on it. Yeah, he gets Sachio like, to join he's, It's a moment where, like, he's... It's a small moment, but it shows that he's just perfectly contempt with his life right now. This is the happiest Pops has ever been in the series. Yeah, and he's been, like, a total grump, but here he's, like, experiencing total peace. Yeah, and Sachio's all like, Pops, what are you doing? And he's all like, ah, come on, Sachio, let loose a little. Come I'll on, teach cut, a rug, cut a rug, cut a rug. Yeah. <laughs> And also, I do love another moment, as after they leave the locker room, you see that Sachio carves a Team Nowhere into the pillar of that the building. That was great. Aww. Making their mark in the uh, Megalo Megalonia Stadium for life. Mm. 
So the competitors make their way to the ring, and the world gets a good look at Gearless Yuri. And just, like, you can just see the crowd going, like, we haven't seen this in forever. We are just used to, like, these gear fights. Now both of our fighters are gearless. And this is the main event to the biggest Megalo boxing event in the world. And so Megalo Box finally reverts to real boxing. Reverts to a normal sports anime. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Good old fashioned classic boxing. Yeah, so the finals of Megalonia will be all about skill and who's simply the best fighter in the world. Joe and Yuri are evenly matched as they go blow for blow with each other, and this continues to, as the fight just really reaches like uh, the fourth round. And then it just keeps going round after round. Like, what do you guys think of this final fight here? Oh, it's beautiful. It's truly beautiful, man. It's yeah. something to behold. Like, you know, people say, like, uh, combat sports, you know, they always call it, like, oh, it's uh, it's the big dance, you know, these guys are, like, doing dance. Like, it literally is almost like a dance here. Mm-hmm. Just like, like Nambu straight up gives out, like, you know, like, Joe, like, you're lucky to have found somebody to, like, finally dance with. Yeah, and I, I do love how, like, Nambu is able to, like, know what's going on because he has his palms firmly on the mat and he's just feeling like the movements of Joe and Yuri to the point where like even though he doesn't have any eyes he's brought to tears about this he's just so overcome with emotion uh, and he tells Sachio too like Sachio burn this into your memory and remember this for all life it's just like you're gonna tell future generations where you were when King, King of Kings Yuri and Gearless Joe fought in one of the greatest matches of all time mm-hmm <laughs> And such a, such a good air of mutual respect, too, because, like, Yuri doesn't have anybody in his corner, either, to help him. Yeah, and also you see that he's, he, he doesn't sit down in his corner, he is standing up, and we find out that if he sits down, he's not getting back up. Like, the surgery was, like, that bad to him, like, it'll just take away all of his movement in his legs. <clears throat> and Sacho even offers him a water bottle in solidarity. Yeah, so nice. Because, you know, he wants to fight fair. And he, he also says, like, I don't want to hear any whining afterwards saying, like, oh, you could have won if you had some help. It feels like the threads are all coming together here. Like, every character so far in the series now fully understands each other. Yeah. He's on equal footing. And, like, they just keep going through round after round after round. They even make it up to, like, third through 13 rounds. And they do, and they do say in these matches there are no round limits, so they can literally fight forever. Yeah, they can... Fight forever. If they wanted to. Yeah. Oh, it's deserving of like the it's deserving of the chant like both these guys. Both, both these guys. guys both these guys. Let's go, Yuri. Let's go, Joe. Let's go, Yuri. Let's go, Joe. And I will splice you in the finish, because it's amazing. Oof. We are now entering round 13 of first in Negato Boxing History! The champion looks like he's still more than ready to go, but Joe has got to be on his last legs. Thank you, Pops. Sachio. Both fighters have been slugging it out since the round began. An astonishing sight to see this deep into the match. Joe's on the right, and Yuri's coming from the left. Wait, no, he's on the right. Took two body shots, and now he's... Stop, that's enough, Sachio. Don't take your eyes off them from here on out. 
burn the sight of them together in the ring into your memory forever. I can see it, Joe. It's like the two of you really are dancing. Lucky, Joe. Truly lucky to have found one another. This is it, Joe. Yeah. What the hell am I doing? I'll tell you. I'm here. I'm in the moment I've lived for. Uh, what do you guys think of it? Amazing! Notice how the rain was falling in the arena? That's yep. awesome. Oh, it's so good. It's like a callback to their like, their first encounter, basically, in the mm. rain. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, yeah, I didn't, like, notice that. Like, the rain, you know, the parallel. Yeah, so good. That moment where, like, they just, like, stare each other down and, like, they realize, like, it's just you and me, Joe. Oh, it's gorgeous. And then, of course, fucking the final move is a goddamn cross-counter. They do the, uh, the Rocky Three ending. The, it's the eye of the tiger, it's the thrill of the fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even though it, I found that absolutely beautiful. It's, uh -huh. It really is. And uh, the end was left ambiguous, as uh, similar to how the ending to the original option didn't know Joe was. <laughs> yeah. Like they, like, yeah, I feel they like they, they felt obligated to add a little ambiguity. Add a little callback to that. Right. But we cut to a year later, and it's revealed that Joe has won. And I love the ending where, like, how everyone has kind of, like, uh, where everyone's gone since the year Joe won the greatest match of all time. Yep. You know, Nambu started up a new school called Gym Nowhere. Like, Sachio's wiener friends are now learning to become Megalo boxers, too. Yeah. With, like, little kitty gears, too. I love their little kitty gear. Little... Like, pink and green. So yeah. adorable. Yeah, they just, like, I think they, like, square up to, uh, what was it, Aragaki, and they're just like, come on, fight us. Fight yeah, Aragaki us. and his team visit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, we find out that Yuri is paralyzed. Yep. Like, yeah, he didn't come out of that battle unscathed. Yeah, after that fight, he went down, and like he said, he never got back up. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like Joe these days is also uh, handling deliveries as well. Yeah, and I do like that final that final shot where it's just him out in the desert, and, you know, just like Pops was before at the start of the fight, he's just, like, waltzing through the desert. Yeah, because, mm -hmm. like, yeah, like, Pops, like, said to him before, like, yeah, hey, Joe, you could dance too or something, and he's just like, huh, yeah, I think I, I think I can actually get the hang of this. 
as he just, like, dances, and they show, like, a scorpion in the background. The final shot of the scorpion. Yep, of course. Like, he's found, like, Joe's found some peace, too. Yeah, and yeah. that's his nature. And then that's the, his nature. Yeah. yeah. Though I feel like one thing that could have made this ending a little bit better, like... Other than I another the, 15 minutes? Oh, yeah, definitely another 15 minutes. But, like, you know, I made this joke on Twitter when it aired on Toonami. I made this joke when we talked about it at our Toonami panel. I gotta make it again. What would have made this better is if Mauro Ronaldo was calling the fight... And he ended and he ended it with Mamma Mia! Gearless Joe has put Yuri on ice! There are no words! That would have been great. That would have been great. Guess what? What? I, I didn't I forgot you made that joke, and then I had on my notes for episode 13 here. What if Megalobox was real and it was on Showtime and Mara and all was calling oh it? Oh my god, it would have been amazing. <laughs> uh, but that brings us to the end of the final, The final thing we see, Gearless Joe's record, 7-0. and Oh, yes. That just, yeah. that just really shows you just how far they came. And just seeing that cha- the cha- champion... Gearless Joe. That is such a satisfying thing yeah. to read. Gearless Joe is Le Champion! Le Champion of Megalobox. Oh. And also, I do like another thing where like uh, we find out that he vacated the title after he won it. Just like he has nothing else to prove anymore. I yep. don't need it. He had the greatest match of his life. Mm-hmm. He is completely at Nowhere peace. Nowhere to now. go from here. He retired at the top. Final thoughts on Megalobox. Ooh, this was a fantastic uh, anniversary series, Bravo. man. Uh, I agree. <laughs> Great spiritual series to a classic. Mm. Oh, I love everything this show. From, everything from like the animation of the fight scenes to like uh, the look of the show, the overall like grimy, grungy design. To like the characters and how they're written, and like this is probably the most enjoy. <laughs> I have to say, this is probably the most I've ever enjoyed a sports anime. Yeah, and I don't like sports anime. Good. Period. No. I don't. <laughs> like, you really have to like wow me further with like other elements to like really mm-hmm. get me into it. You know, like uh, like ping pong or something with like Masaki Uwasa's right. animation. And man, did Megalobox uh, really sell me on it? Yeah, mm-hmm. they they fucking nailed it, man. They yeah. they did a reboot that felt like their own while paying while feeling like the original in every way. They just complete, complete home run. Yeah, like, they, they paid their lip service to honor the 50th anniversary of Ashina Nojo, but, like, like you said, they made it its own thing. This is something that everyone can do- can enjoy, and it's something that everyone should go out of their way to enjoy. Yeah, even if you have no knowledge of the original, you don't need yeah, it. Yeah, like... I know, you need nothing to know about the original. Absolutely not. Like, if you do know it, it just makes it all just that little bit more better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on its own, it's just, like, it's perfect. Yeah, and there's a ton of ton of callbacks to the original. There's like a 90-minute video on YouTube <laughs> of some guy saying, like, okay, here's all the references that this makes to the original Ashida Dojo. Yeah, it came out again uh, in... 2018. 2018. Yeah, like... By far I one of the best... spring 2018, probably? By far yeah. one of the best series of 2018. I think it's probably my favorite. I honestly regret waiting until it aired on Toonami because... 
if I had watched it earlier, I definitely would have put it put it on my list of top anime of 2018. Really? And I usually never hear you express regret, regret for watching a series on uh, later on Toonami. Yeah, mostly because I I because like I made that one solo podcast where I listed my top ten favorites, and like I did give a little shout out to Megalobox, but at the time I've only saw like what three episodes. Right. Cause if I. I didn't that start in, like, December yeah, or something? Yeah, it started in December. Mm. And I recorded that, like, what, after January 1st? I feel like you're, yeah. So I'm just like, God, I wish I watched it sooner. I would have put it on the list, and I would have, like, bigged it up even more. But, you know. Yeah. It's kind of between that and Doubleman Crybaby for me last year. Mm, definitely. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, this is phenomenal series, and, like... Phenomenal! And also, like, uh, we talked about the dub, like, quite a few times during this. Like, the dub is friggin' fantastic. Like, yeah. Like, perfect casting all across the Good board. Good job, Bang Zoom. Good job, all that. Yeah. Oh, fantastic job. And By the way, shout-outs to Viz for the Blu-ray release. It is incredibly good. Oh, yeah. Like, you sh- you have it here with us, and you've been showing yeah, us. Yeah, they have, they have a really cool, what, like, oh, my God, 120-page uh, book with it. That looks like the sports almanac from Back to the Future too. Yeah, I, I flipped through that with before like this podcast. interviews, it looks and fantastic, art and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of good, yeah. uh, like conceptual, like material to that. Yeah, yeah and and there's and the Blu-ray itself too is really good. There's like 90 minutes with like the creators and the writers of it, just talking about like the influences and all that stuff and the ideas they had. And you got to, and then they had like a camera in there while they were kind of figuring out what would happen in the final fight. So that was really cool to see. Awesome job all around. Oh, yeah. bravo. Fine Great match show. indeed. Beautiful show. Just go watch it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's still on Crunchyroll. Yeah. So finish this podcast and go watch it. Yes. Yeah, like. Yeah, like especially if you're not an avid. I would especially say for anyone out there who is not an avid watcher of sports anime, watch this. You won't be disappointed. Thanks for listening to our special podcast recorded live here at Galaxy Con in our hotel room in Minneapolis. Live in front of a. There's no one else in here other than us three. (laughs) I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at Mikey Shota on Twitter, MikeyShota.tumblr.com, and Mikey Shota on Instagram. And where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me on on Twitter at WolfishGrin and on Tumblr at WolfishGrin. Tony, our special guest, where can we find you? You can find me on the Twitters at twitter.com forward slash tone dog or you can find me on the instagrams at tone dog 38 because some asshole also when is bento fm coming back mm. <laughs> <laughs> to be announced, <laughs> to be announced. Uh, follow the show's twitter at anime underscore baby that's anime underscore b-a-y b-a-y also we have the episodes on anime baby.podbean.com also just search anime baby and whatever podcasting machine you use we're on itunes and also on uh, google podcast too yes yeah. thank you all for listening and if you have any questions comments or concerns please send them to anime baby pod at gmail.com anime baby pod pod at gmail.com thanks again for listening and this has been anime baby
punches were sharp, they wouldn't sound like the sloppy wet farts of some half-asleep stumbling cow.